For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Morning from the Neil Pendeville Show. This is Mick Mulcahy. Record numbers on, on trolleys during August is a story in the uh, mail today. More than 9,600 patients went without a bed in Irish hospitals last month. The highest August figures on record. INMO Secretary Phil Nishada said, for the third time this year, we've seen another overcrowding record broken. In August 2021, there were 6,000 367 patients on trolleys. In August 2020 it was 3,087 while in uh, August 2019 it was huge at 9,562 but it's top 9,600 for August 2022. Ms Nishada said this summer's high levels of overcrowding are sounding the alarm for a very bleak winter ahead unless immediate action is taken by the Minister for Health and the HSE in the form of a fully funded winter plan. The Echo has students warned over rental scams. Roisin Burke reporting that as Gardaí issue a warning about a substantial increase in accommodation fraud, students' unions in Cork have also said they are on hand to assist students. Gardaí have warned of a spike in incidents targeting young people as students return to college, with more than a 50% increase in victims of accommodation fraud aged under 25 in 2022. Students should consult with their accommodation office if they're unsure whether or not a property is legitimate. Uh, She said it looks too good to be true, and if it does, it probably is, and warned against rushing into signing a contract. Uh, a contract. Students should not feel they're under pressure to sign any leases or to pay anything before they're sure the property is real and sure the property is habitable. And we will uh, speak a little more about that on the programme later this morning. But students are warned over rental scams. The Mirror has parents flood charity with calls for help. Uh, This is a back-to-school story. Desperate parents, unable to afford the cost of sending their children back to school, made around 30 calls an hour to St. Vincent de Paul's regional offices during August. Uh, According to the Irish charity, almost half of the requests came from hard-up one-parent families. SVP National President Rose McGowan said while the increase in the back-to-school clothing and footwear allowance and free schooling transport were helping, uh, free school transport were helping, they were still a long way off from solving the problem. I've done wrong. Uh, Fianna Fáil scandal, says the Mirror front page. Stephen Donnelly was under pressure last night to explain why he didn't register a rental property with the Residential Tenancies Board. Uh, The Health Minister claimed the second scandal to rock Fianna Fáil in a week after Minister Robert Troy quit for failing to declare properties uh, with the Doyle was an oversight. That seems to be a very popular word as this uh, story unfolds. It was an oversight. Uh, but opposition parties, it's out saying it was neither acceptable or excusable. And uh, the people for profit, uh, labour and people before profit, uh, people for profit, people before profit, uh, demanded Mr. Donnelly explain why his rental property in Sandyford in Dublin, which is on his Doyle register of interests, had not been registered with the RTB since 2019. They said it was a significant oversight. Minister Donnelly admitted he failed to register the rental property with RTB for the past three years and only did so late last week after it emerged. Fellow Funafol TD Robert Troy had also registered a property late. Mr Troy was later forced to resign as a junior trade minister after it emerged he had failed to fully declare all 11 rental properties he either owned or co-owned. The boys are up for a pay rise, by the way, of six and a half thousand a year. Uh, so I wonder how many of their constituents feel who are being taxed to high heaven 
who can't get a foot on the lowest rung of the property ladder while these very well-paid public representatives are notching up house after house after house. Uh, Call of the Wild is in the star today. Weather bosses have released the names of the storms set to batter Ireland in the coming year. Uh, After we were hit in the past by heavy wind, torrential downpours and snowfall, when Storm Barra, Dudley, Eunice and Franklin wreaked havoc. Uh, Anthony, that's A-N-T-O-N-I, Betty, that reminds me of Billy Connolly and the two lines in the Serengeti plane, Betty, Agnes. But anyway, Anthony, Betty, Killian and Daisy are among some of the storm names that will cross Ireland this winter. When they come, they'll be named accordingly. Uh, Meta Aaron has revealed those names. Irish weather bosses have teamed up with their counterparts in the UK and the Netherlands, again, to create the list. The names are usually given to storms that warrant an orange or red alert warning uh, from today, 1st of uh, September until August 31st, 2023. So this is an annual thing. Irish names that made it onto the anticipated list include Killian, Ida and Ruan. R-U-A-D-H-A Fada N. So let me give you the full uh, list for the year. Uh, I feel sorry for the people who have uh, alphabetically late uh, names, you know, when it comes to your... The first one's always, go, always going to be A, then B, then C. So if your name is Zoe, then, you know, they probably will never have a storm named after you. Anyway, the full list is Anthony, uh, Betty, Killian, Daisy, Elliot, Fleur, Glenn, Hendrika, Ida, Joanna, that's Joanna with a H. Khalid, Lois, uh, or Lowe's, Mark, Nelly, Owain, O-W-A-I-N, Priya, P-R-I-Y-A, Ruan, as I mentioned, Sam, Tobias, Val, and Woe, W-O. Matt Aaron's head of forecasting, Evelyn Cusack, joked people would either love or hate to be named after a storm. And speaking of storms, bleak winter ahead has the Echo uh, main headline on the front page and that refers to our first story there. CUH third worst in overcrowding. A Cork Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation INMO rep has warned of a bleak winter ahead if nothing is done to tackle overcrowding in Cork's hospitals as latest figures show that almost 1,300 patients were left on trolleys in Cork in August. Now going into the paper uh, to follow that story, they're very concerned with how Cork hospitals will be able to handle winter. Colin Porter is the INMO Assistant Director of Industrial Relations in the Southern Region, and he said, these winter-like figures in the height of summer should not be treated as normal. Uh, we would be very concerned about this, what this would mean for the winter. The INMO want to see HSE and hospitals in Cork look into their winter plans now and how they're going to handle a potentially bleak winter if action isn't taken. So we've got winter levels uh, towards the end of the summer. Uh, When you project them out, of course, it makes for very, very tough times ahead for those trying to provide adequate levels of care uh, in our hospitals. Quite challenging uh, is one of the uh, comments that was made to provide safe patient care in the environment and circumstances that the healthcare professionals are working in. Speaking on the uh, August figures, uh, Phil Nisheda, as I mentioned, commended steps taken in UHL to reduce overcrowding. The hospital has moved away from the top spot in the overcrowding rankings for the first time since September 2021. But it's a bleak story here in Cork. Caleri is back in the cabinet swing. And of course, that swing uh, headline is a nod to uh, the reason why he left because of Golfgate. Dara Caleri uh, returning to the cabinet in the Christmas reshuffle of government top jobs, Fianna Fáil insiders uh, have said he was appointed to replace Robert Troy 
in the Department of Business yesterday after two years in the wilderness following his Golfgate resignation. Um, but he probably, uh, is what they're surmising, will get uh, a top cabinet position in the Christmas reshuffle. Uh, Troy stepped down from the junior minister role last week after controversy over his failure to declare his uh, full um, property interests uh, on the Doyle Register. Taoiseach Michal Martin handpicked Mayo TD Caleri for the appointment, which was signed off by coalition partners Fine Gael and the Green Party at a cabinet meeting yesterday. It's seen by party insiders as the beginning of Caleri's comeback to the cabinet table. He resigned as Minister for Agriculture after fury over the Oireachtas Golf Society's bash in August 2020. Now, the latest um, price hikes are coming from prepay power. Irish consumers have been dealt a blow as prepay power announced massive hikes to its gas and electricity prices. The energy provider says its gas will rise 29% from October 1st, while electricity will rise by 19%. The increases will add an extra €339 to the average electricity bill and €428 to the average gas bill. The firm, which has 170,000 electricity customers and 60,000 gas customers, yesterday said the rises are a result of continued upward price pressure on international energy markets. A spokesperson said, were it not for our extensive hedging operations, these increases would have had to be significantly higher. To be fair to them, it's uh, it's only half the... half the price increase uh, that uh, SSE Electricity uh, customers will be facing. They're up at about 39%. We continue to work hard to protect customers to the greatest extent possible, they said. To the Independent, where helpline is on hand as Leaving Cert results are released tomorrow. The long wait for the Leaving Cert results ends tomorrow. More than 60,000 candidates receiving their grades. And the National Parents Council post-primary helpline is one 800 265 165. This will be on hand to answer queries from students and their parents or guardians and or indeed other family members. The helpline is sponsored by the Department of Education and the irishindependent.ie and it will run for 13 days on 1-800-265-165. And gigs, the jury is out after 17 days of a trial, 23 hours of deliberations and at vast cost. Uh, the trial collapses. Ryan Giggs's uh, 17-day domestic abuse trial sensationally collapsed yesterday after the jury failed to reach a verdict. The Manchester United legend, now 48 years of age, dropped his head in the dock and looked at the floor crestfallen. He will learn next Wednesday whether he faces a retrial after the Manchester Crown Court jury's 23 hours of deliberations ended in deadlock. Uh, Giggs denies attacking his ex-girlfriend, uh, Kate Greville, 10 years his junior. And uh, one more, uh, it's, uh, that's a bit sneaky, actually, two more. Uh, that's a bit sneakery, fury at BT pricing error. Trainers worth €150 Euro on the site for €10. Euro. Brown Thomas has admitted a pricing error after advertising high-end trainers as €10. Euro. The department store left customers raging yesterday uh, after it explained a technical error meant the offer was wrong and cancelled their orders. I had family members who uh, successfully... Uh, bought, were uh, debited from their accounts and email confirmations received. Uh, but apparently there's a kind of a back door uh, where the uh, supply of the shoes now can be halted and refunds can be made. Online shoppers quick to purchase Veja or Veja trainers, normally retailing at 150 or more, that were advertised for over two hours on the Brown Thomas site at just 10 euro. And of course, these trainers are advertised to people who are very proficient at uh, creating an instant uh, social media frenzy. So it must have been Armageddon on the site 
uh, as people clamber to get these uh, at a fraction of their price. But in a statement posted on social media, Brown Thomas said the order sold at the incorrect price will be cancelled as per our terms and conditions. We're investigating this technical issue and apologise for any inconvenience. The Brown Thomas terms and conditions allow it to cancel an order if it suspects the order may have been in contravention of any applicable law. Customers took to Twitter to express their disappointment with the apology issued with many arguing that instead of cancelling the orders, Brown Thomas should honour these prices. They'd probably get a lot of positive publicity if they did, a la Paddy Power, who often pay out, you know, Bets at the start of a season, such and such a team to be relegated, and if they have a crappy start to the season, uh, Paddy Power pays out and gets an acres and acres of publicity for doing so. Anyway, one customer said these orders should all be honoured by Brian Thomas, not the customer's fault. They had a pricing error. Brand reputation and customer satisfaction should be more important to a company like Brown Thomas. Hopefully we'll have... Uh, some affected customers on the air before 12 midday. Final one, stroking your cat or dog tops the list of stress beaters. Uh, it's good for you, if you are. Pardon the pun. Cuddling your pet is the best way to beat the stresses of modern life. Stroking a cat or dog top the list of how to calm yourself over money or family worries, said a poll of 2,000 people. Enjoying a cup of tea with a biscuit came a close second, followed by reading a book, writing a to-do list, or taking time out from social media. It's the Neil Prendival Show with the time at 21 minutes past nine. You're listening to the number one talk show in Cork. The Neil Prendival Show. It's the best in Cork. On Red FM. Good morning, Jessica. Hey. <clears throat> now, this is going to be difficult for you to talk, I know, so take a deep breath. It's just me. It's uh, You're about yeah. to become homeless. The impending homelessness weighing heavy on your shoulders, of course. It's going to happen after the weekend. Yeah, it is, yeah. Tell me um, the story. Um, I I did have a, a council house before and there was a, an incident, a, a mistaken identity and they got the wrong house and myself and my daughter were in the home and my daughter was three at the time. So um, after that, because... I, I suffered bad. Um, they um, <clears throat> they gave me back my rent allowance, and I started renting then since, and that was ten years ago. But at the time, they did say that I would be only renting about a year. Like that, they were planning to house me within the year. Um, so I'm. Um, they put me on the transfer list first for about 14 months mm-hmm. and then my housing officer rang and he said um, you're better off going on the housing list you might be housed faster um, I did still have the keys to that old property but none of my furniture or nothing like that in there I was moved to a rented property and receiving rent allowance and um when I went to the council to go on the housing list, they said, oh, you're in arrears of over a thousand. And I said, how's that? And they were saying, from that old property. And I said, but I wasn't living there. And they were like, but you can't go on the housing list until that's being paid. So I was paying that weekly off then. And then when I was going down, still kind of asking about my, how am I going to get house and things like that um, they said when the arrears are paid 
the rares I paid about five years ago. Um, I just paid on for like I I couldn't understand. I said I wasn't. No one even after told no one at the time told me that I had to pay a uh, for like when I was out renting and that old property. Like, now, if, no if, if they say they were planning, Jessica, to house you in a year and you got advice from, you know, a member of the authority, if you like, someone yeah, in a place to yeah. give you advice, to say, yeah. jump over onto the housing list, you, you must have thought you'd be housed in less than a year, yeah? I did, yeah, yeah. I was told that um, um, by um, a member down in the council because they did have a meeting down there and that's when they did decide that there was no suitable houses at that time. So the best option was to put me on rent allowance and to go out renting. And they said, you won't be rented, you won't be out renting long, you'll be housed within the year. Um, and um, and that was the agreement as well with the um, uh, the rent allowance, that the people that pay your rent allowance because they had kept um, sending me um, letters saying, um, you know, you're still renting. I thought this was only short time, you know, term. So I actually had to get a letter off the council saying that, you know, they still haven't housed me and things like that. So um, I'm in this property now nearly 10 years. Um, and like, oh, uh, yeah, I went on the, I so I was on the transfer list and then I went, moved on to the housing list. And um, I'm on that I'm on this now eight years and I was on the transfer list about 14 or something like that now, 12, 14 years or 14 months. Yeah, meanwhile your child um, has grown up from uh, three years of age to 12 years of age now. Yeah, she's 13 now. And 13, yeah. Yeah. Um, we live and um, she, like, she, in, I'm in this area now 10 years so she's gone to the preschool, the primary, she's just started the secretary now um, in um Tuesday she started um, and we're facing this you know yeah, you, um, you, you keep referring to the family in the singular, are you a single mum? I am, yeah, okay. yeah. and yeah. you were you were diagnosed with PTSD which is post-traumatic stress disorder yeah. from, from from what event did that arise? Um, when I was in the, my old property um, there was a a mistake night, the, the the person went to the wrong house, he was looking for uh, another house and he got the houses mixed up and I was sitting down watching telly, as you, as you do, and my, my daughter, Tree, she was up in bed and the first the glass in the door was smashed and I went to the door and I kept saying, where is he, where is he, looking for someone else and I kept saying, you were, you, you were at the wrong house, you were at the wrong house, screaming kept smashing the windows, the door. Okay, that's the event you mentioned at the start of the interview. Yeah. So how, how do you feel about the whole process? You were made promises, it was planned to house yeah. you, you were given advice yeah. that has put you down the wrong pathway now in retrospect, if you look back. Uh, yeah. If, if you hadn't taken that advice, do you think you would have been housed within a year? Um, I honestly don't know because, see, at the time, I was just very unwell and I think I would have just listened to anything, you know, I just... Um, so I honestly, I, I can't say that what advice would have been good or bad because I was so unwell and I, I just took what they were saying, you know, as, you know, that they meant it at the time. But like that, the fact that it's going on nearly 10 years, 
And then you kind of had two rents to pay, really, didn't you? To pay back the thousand that was owed. Yeah. As well as the other well, see, rent. I didn't know which was subsidised, you know, like, to be fair. Yeah, I, like, I didn't know that. Do you know what I mean? No one at that time said, um, because you're on the transfer list, you will still have to pay for the old property. Do you know what I mean? No one actually, I only found out that when I went down to go on the housing list. Do you know, they said, oh, you're on the road. So I pay. I was paying it then weekly. Um, I think it was like about 10 euro now weekly, Like, but I cleared it anyway, do you know. Um, and that's what I was told then, clear that and I'd be house. And I cleared it about five years ago, four years ago, I'd say. How, how many more people like you, Jessica, how many more families like you, do you think, are waiting to be housed and, oh. and, you know, let me ask the question. Do, do, do some have more entitlement than you? Are some people in worse positions? Oh, they probably are, yeah. Yeah, they probably are worse than me. But I'm not here for them and here for me. You know, they are probably worse than me. You know, I'm just angry now that I'm here 10 years later after being told that um, I'd be only a year renting. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where do, you, where do you go from here? I know you're looking for that little bit of publicity impetus that might move mountains in, in City Hall or wherever. Where, where do you go from here? Is there anyone else you can make approaches to? I don't know because they have to be on to TVs, maybe UK, um, focus housing. I have to be everywhere, you know, and uh, they've all been a help in their own way, you know, they sent letters or gave me advice. Um, but I just don't think that the council are listening. Mm-hmm. You know, they just, you know, they just, I don't know. And of course, your your daughter is at a critical age now, the age of puberty, yeah, where she's growing from a child into, in, into a woman. And the experience has not been good for her, I imagine. And no. especially if you're looking forward to uh, going through the cycle of emergency housing and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's what it is for me. Um, if she was a baby and didn't understand, I'd say something, you know. Which is what she was at the start. Yeah. So she didn't know, and she actually doesn't even remember. So I'm glad, you know, she doesn't remember what happened or anything like that. Um, it's the fact that she's going on 13 next month. She's well aware and she's embarrassed. She, the one thing she did say is, Mom, I will I tell my friends? Uh, so, like, I mean, she's very aware. And I, I feel like that when I was 13, that there was nothing like that. I didn't know... When did she start to become aware of it and when did it start to become difficult for her with peer pressure and everything? Like when um, the sign went up on the house for sale, I don't think she took much much notice or anything like that. It's only since that she's seen me or she's heard me on the phone with TVs and things like that, that, and she's seen me upset that she is becoming aware and, and the fact that she now knows that we're going to be gone over the weekend um, she, you know, she's more aware. Like she, she, she is a good child, and I want to keep it like that. You know, it's so far so good. She's into the camogie. So she's great friends, and I'm trying to keep that there as much as possible. Like, okay, what area of the city are you living in? Dublin Hill. Dublin Hill area. Okay, yeah. so you're living in Dublin Hill area for the last nine years. You had a council home in Cushing Place because I know this. We we've, we've talked about every other thing, but. Uh, let's get back to where we started. Uh, you, you're living in the Dublin Hill area for the last nine years. You had a council home in Cushing Place. That home was attacked over mistaken identity. Your daughter was then three. Uh, you got PTSD. It's almost ten years later. 
Now the house in which you are living has been put up for sale by the landlord, is that correct? Yeah, it is, yeah. Okay, so you're about to move from having been entitled to a council house um, to becoming homeless. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Because we do get complaints every time, you know, certain listeners are tired of what they see as people coming on looking for something for nothing, but that, you you, well, al- you yeah. already had an entitlement. Yeah, and I know people would say she had a council home and why didn't she just go back, but, like... Have you I, any entitlement to to get back what you had? I, it's not, I'm not saying I'm entitled to it, I'm just saying I'm a bit angry now that it is going on so long. So what? So what options do you have next week? Um, I I'd say emergency accommodation or something like that. Yeah, I don't know where they said that. Just come down on the day, and they'll, they'll say they'll tell me where. What's that likely to be? A, a hostel, a hotel room, a B and B? I would say so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Can we maybe check up with you next week when Neil is back as to as to what happened? Uh, yeah. and, you know, I, I'm I'm conscious that if you hadn't taken that advice, you probably even though you wouldn't have been rehoused, you would have you would have had your council house still and have some place to call your own. As yeah. such, yeah, yeah. All right, Jessica. That's in hindsight, you know. Like I mean, I did it at the time. I took a guy when I wasn't kind of well. Um. So you know, like we can all go back and say. If I did this or that, but you know, this is ten years later now, and things are a bit different. You know. Mm. Well, yeah. the, pre- the the pressure on uh, the available resources, housing wise, is also ten times stronger, probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Jessica, we'll try and stay in touch with you, and you may might update uh, Neil's team uh, when he returns on Monday. Will you? Yeah, I will. Yeah. But uh, to be Thank fair, you. Uh, not you know, not to put too fine a point in it, a very very stressful weekend ahead for you. Is it affecting your sleep and your, your day-to-day yeah. life now, yeah? Yeah, it is. Um, just It's just um, trying to know what to do for the best and to know who to turn to and then obviously, like, not to show it in front of my daughter because, yeah. you know, yeah. It's a, it's a large way to carry. I can only wish you all it the is, best, yeah. Jessica. Please stay in touch. Yeah, thank you. Thank yeah, you very much. Thank you. Bye, baby. Cheers. Bye-bye. That's Jessica about to become homeless after the weekend. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. And good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. And just on a personal note, I wonder if uh, around this time next year we'll be talking about the Harry Styles concert at Slane Castle. Uh, Slane Castle was predominantly a rock venue. I saw Queen there back in 1986. Uh, I know Bob Dylan's played there. I think it all kicked off with Bruce Springsteen in 1984 or 5. Uh, Foo Fighters, Metallica, that sort of thing. You too. Uh, but now Harry Styles will appeal to a much younger cohort of the population. Uh, we had incredible difficulty getting out of Slane uh, because the concerts go to the dark. I wonder will it be a concert that for lighting effects uh, with Harry Styles will go to the dark uh, but I imagine there will have to be probably a bus-only procedure uh, for getting. He's going to attract a fairly young crowd. And uh, it just seemed very strange to me that it wasn't Coldplay or somebody uh, who were still going to be on tour. Uh, incredible tour, I believe, as well. But it's just uh, strange that they're moving off uh, the rock to the appeal. Uh, I heard one person actually call him the king of pop and I nearly f- crashed the car. Um, but there you go. Um, it's going to be Harry Styles at Slane Castle. 
but I wonder how they'll cater for exiting that uh, it's access to Slane at the best of times when there's no concert can be difficult exit from Slane with 70 or 80,000 people uh, if they're young would certainly have me worried but I wish it all the best it is what it is uh, let's go to line 2 sorry not on line 2 we have uh, line one, I beg your pardon, and Jerry Garvey is the regional coordinator of the SVP St. Vincent de Paul Southwest. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning. How are you? Uh, very good. 30 people an hour seeking assistance. Yeah, the call levels have been absolutely astonishing all over the country in all of our offices. And bear in mind, Neil, they're the calls that come into our offices. There would be additional calls coming into conference mobiles at a local level. Yeah. So it's- the demand has definitely increased dramatically. Okay, so a huge increase here in Cork as well. Some of the calls are to do with back to school. Others must be about fear of the cost of living and providing heat and lighting for the winter. Absolutely. We, we've never had so many calls early in, in, in the, the, the year for kind of heating and utility costs because once people see the bills coming in, uh, they're, they're absolutely frightened because unfortunately it's coinciding with the same time you've got back to school costs and other increases. And actually, in fact, interestingly and frighteningly, we had a couple of calls in the last couple of days from people ringing up the office saying, because the, the cost of a bag of coal is set to reach €50, Euros, will the society even be able to afford to give us coal this year? Mm-hmm. And the message is very clearly, we will be supporting people just as strongly this year as we did last year. Can, can I ask you, Jerry, and, and, and please divulge only what information you can, what, what is the filtering system for St. Vincent de Paul? Do you have a database of, of uh, people you know are in need? Do you have an application system? Is, is there a point system? Could, could any old person ring up and say, uh, I'm in trouble, I need something? Absolutely. The, the most important thing to remember, Neil, and it's when we always stress is the only barometer for, for contact units for, for assistance is if you're in need. It doesn't matter what ethnic minority you come from, what, you know, whether you have a good job, a bad job, no job, whatever, uh, creed, colour, race, whatever, that there's no barometer other than need. And in making that point, I suppose, we don't keep kind of a database of that, the, the typical those in need. People contact us and they're obviously putting our system in for the duration that they're being assisted. Uh, sometimes it's people with, with repeat needs over quite a period. Sometimes it's people who just need a leg up in a bad period. And once they get back on their feet, you don't hear from them again for a considerable period. But the message we want to put out is if anyone's in need, please don't don't shy away from picking up the phone to the society because we will help you out. And people often find, particularly the working poor, which, which is one of my hobby horses, those in low-paid employment, who are probably just above the levels of getting the extra state supports, but not high enough in income earning to be able to cover their costs. And they're very slow to pick up the phone to a charity because they would always have been, you know, self-sustaining themselves. And the message to them is, this is your time of need. Pick up the phone and get the help when you need it. And when you're back in your feet, you can and probably will donate to us. Okay, so we have a situation where we have rampant inflation and, and the bans for consideration for state assistance aren't moving. That would, we would hope that would be addressed in the budget, that the, uh, you know, the, the minimum threshold would be increased so that more of these people who are just over the limit uh, for, for getting any assistance but can't really put food on the table, light and heat in the house and kids back to school uh, will get some sort of assistance officially. Yes, that, that, that would be a very important point. And one of the, the, the things that the society is advocating for is that there's more support for children in educational disadvantage who are not necessarily in DESH schools because it's not just people in DESH schools that are experiencing difficulties this year that, you know, that the government need to expand the, the, the supports to education and to, to families in need beyond just the Dutch schools to the, the ordinary schools and particularly children with, with special needs. 
psychologically, Jerry, how, how much do you think it's affecting parents when they struggle to, you know, get kids back to school and put food on the table uh, and have little or nothing left for lifestyle or for socialising, you know, socialising and that kind of thing? Uh, are you finding that uh, there's a mental anguish and that parents are, are blaming themselves for failing their children, if you like? I suppose naturally we all we all kind of feel that it's our duty to mind our children and give them everything they need. And when you can't do that, you do feel very bad about it. But so many people are in the same situation. People shouldn't feel bad about it. Uh, you know, we will get through this eventually with, with the generosity and support of those who are doing well. Uh, but I think there is, as you mentioned, the mental anguish. There's a huge, huge mental health issue, you know, coming up around this. And I know psychologists and doctors have spoken about it for quite some time. That this this, this uh, kind of recession, COVID, utility increases, inflation has all been one thing on top of the other. So there's, there's been a continuous pressure on people for the last, I suppose, two and a half to three years. And I mean, I know our national president was speaking earlier and talking about people going to bed at night worried because they didn't they didn't know how they were going to manage the following morning. Yeah, anxious and losing sleep, which, well, which doesn't help either. Sleep. Sorry? Anxious and losing sleep doesn't help either, but you can't avoid it. It doesn't, no. But it means that that, that, that that mental torture, if you like, is building up. So I think there's going to be huge mental health issues down the line. I think we really need as a country to, to row in behind those that, that, that are in need and provide those supports because whether it is a school child or it is a parent, they should have the basic necessities of life. And we are in, in a, a well-developed country that's not exactly poor, so I think yeah. we should be able to spread the load a little bit more evenly and give everyone a, a lift in these tough times. Yeah, the free school books pilot scheme, I believe, is likely to be extended. So there is elements of good news ar- around this. Um, but against that, when food and drink prices are also up more than 10% across Europe, we're, we're not isolated here in, in, uh, in having this rampant inflation. It's Europe-wide. It is absolutely Europe-wide. And it's, it's, it's you know, th- there's no question of blaming anyone for, for it. But I think... By comparison with some other countries, um, our, our level of support across particularly education and stuff like that wouldn't be as strong. Uh, we would advocate very strongly that no child should be going to school without the school books and uh, the, the necessary pencils and you know all the bits and pieces to go with that. Now, we've worked with the, the feed programme to provide, I think, about 2,000 school kits to a lot of families and kids to make sure that they, they didn't have that difficulty because there's nothing more torturing for a child and to be going to school and they'd be the one that doesn't have the pencil and they'd be the one that doesn't have the little book or the calculator or the tracksuit or whatever it is. Mm. I mean, those things to me are basic human rights and they should be provided through the statutory system so that all children are the same. Okay, now the European Central Bank is not something that most of your callers would be directly worried about and some may struggle to understand, as I do, uh, how they're probably going to put a drastic, when I say drastic, uh, it's not drastic by uh, 20 years ago standards, but 0.75% next week probably on mortgages. Now, this is to get a handle on price increases, but it's going to drive up mortgages for those who are badly affected uh, and drive them up, you know, maybe 100, 150 euros a month perhaps. Uh, and this is also going to have an impact. Um, but the European Bank are saying it's necessary uh, to drastically increase interest rates to try and get a handle on price increases across the eurozone. Yeah, I, do, I would agree with you, Neil. I mean, most people and myself wouldn't be an expert in kind of the European Central Bank, but I, I know that that's one of their anti-inflationary measures is to increase prices or increase interest rates to try and dampen down the the, the, the price increasing in the economy. But I think we've got to look at the local level and see what are the underlying issues. 
And one of the big reasons that mortgages are so high and that rents are so high is lack of supply. And we just don't have enough houses. We're not building enough houses. And to give an example, I went for a walk earlier this morning with the dog. And in my own area, within four blocks, I passed five different houses that are currently unoccupied. Uh-huh. Now, I know some are because people are in nursing homes because of fair deal and others are just sitting idle between sellers. So I think that there's a bit of work to be done to try and fill up those houses and take away the impediments from people that have availed of the fair deal system to be able to rent out their houses and provide housing to people in need because the only way you're going to solve mortgage and rent problems is to increase the supply. And what are, are people worried about the, the constant barrage of price increases coming from the energy providers? It's like one after another in a circle and we'll start again. Yeah, it, it is frightening. Uh, and none of us know where it's going to end. Um, the only thing we can do is we can advocate strongly to government to try and put some little bit of control on us and support those through the tough times. Because, believe it or not, we will get through this. It seems impossible at the moment, but if we pull together and if people support charities like ourselves, we'll be able to reach out to those in need and give them a leg up in addition to the state supports that are being provided. Yeah, Eamon Ryan saying, I think it was last week, might have been the week before, the government will keep the lights on. This week he's saying we can't guarantee uh, that we'll have constant supply of electricity. Um, you know, we can't guarantee there won't be blackouts. Yeah, it's a difficulty and I suppose it's something that's beyond our kind of ability to deal with. It's a big, bigger fish to fry. I think we've got to look at the, the, the small elements and support them and hope that our government and our, our politicians will do enough at the higher level to, to deal with the bigger problems. Yeah, uh, obviously, uh, Jerry Garvey, Regional Coordinator of St. Vincent de Paul Southwest, the more you have, the more you can do. How, how do you guys make your money and, and get the resources to help? Well, it, it, this is a very timely conversation, Eileen, because we're talking about the two strands of a massive um, winter of need ahead where we're going to be spending an awful lot more than we did last year. But we would probably generate nearly 80% of our funding and fundraising in the last three to four months of the year. So we'd be starting now in kind of mid-September with fundraising. We'll have our, our annual car draw, which everyone's familiar with, across Cork and Kerry. We'll have flag days in October. Uh, we'll have some bag packs. We'll have our, our ongoing monthly church gate collections. And we'll obviously open up the, the, the requests for donations and subscriptions from corporate ent- entities, from those who have a few bob to spare, and I have to say, thankfully, that the people of Cork have been really, really generous over the years. And we've no doubt that they'll turn up trumps again. But it's important for people in need to know that we do have funds in place for the next couple of months. We've already got that done since last year. We're now fundraising for beyond Christmas and into next year. So both elements are very important. We want people to come forward and look for help if they do need it. And we most certainly w- would turn to the generous people of Cork to help us out with our fundraising over the next couple of months to make sure that the kitties will be strong again for the coming year. A mm. um, couple of texts about voluntary contributions to schools. Um, they are, they're, all, they're taking on an almost compulsory tone when they're uh, requested. Uh, and it's another worry for parents. Yeah, well, I mean, we always almost laugh, even though it's not a, a joke, to call them voluntary contributions. And I suppose the first thing to say is it's not the school's fault. They're underfunded by government. They're having the money to photocopy things for the classrooms or to get basic requirements that they need to teach. Because I know quite a lot of teachers and they would love not to have to be in this cycle looking for voluntary contributions. That should be state funded. Uh-huh. No question about it. I mean, that's one of the things that the government could do 
it wouldn't cost them that huge a fortune to just fund the school sufficiently that we're not turning to parents yet again for moral contributions. And that, and that would, dir- that would directly Jews, help. Uniforms. Yeah, that, that would directly help those who need it most. Absolutely. Uh, okay, one it's final question. Um, yeah, you, you are a registered charity, so any of the better paid members of our society could actually achieve maybe a tax deduction if they make uh, right. a generous a- donation to you. Yeah, any PAYE earner that makes a contribution of more than 250 euros to a charity, uh, it generates uh, a tax back for the charity, which increases that by another significant amount. So it's a very, very useful scheme. We use quite a lot, and we encourage people to come out and support us. Okay. And uh, if, if it's bang for your buck, charity-wise, you're looking for uh, St. Vincent de Paul is at the cold face. Jerry Garvey, thanks for coming on with us this morning. You're welcome. Thank Cheers. You. Thanks. Bye-bye. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Yes, thank you for pointing out. Uh, I was continually being called Neil, and I've just stopped uh, correcting people now. It's, it's grand. Uh, there's no point correcting them because they feel a little embarrassed and it takes the interview to a different place. So I just let people call me Neil. I'm sure he's called Niall more than he's called Neil as well. Anyway, uh, want to give a quick mention out to a Cork girl, Chloe Farquhar. I know the Farquhar family and Chloe Farquhar is very talented and she's performing at Electric Picnic this weekend. She's going to be a DJ. So anyone from Cork at Electric Picnic, make sure to check out Chloe Farquhar, who is a DJ uh, with some great promise and uh, go and check that out. Now then, line two, we've got Mick Barry. Hi, Mick Barry. TD. Hello, Mick. How are you? Very good. Now, ordinary households, you know something, Mick, uh, just to, just before we start, this program is a barometer for the sentiment uh, of the people of Cork and beyond. And I'm, so, I'm kind of sorry that it's just negativity after negativity, but we're in strange and troubled times. Ordinary householders are the victims of profiteering, which is being organised on a grand scale by the uh, what you'll probably claim is the, the, the government in power and the energy companies. Well, I think that's undeniable. I mean, we have these energy price hikes coming in on the 1st of October. You've just announced a new one from um, uh, PrePower this morning. Electricity are increasing the price of gas and electricity by 45% per unit. Yeah, the wind went up in cost. Well, you ask yourself the question, who's the parent company of electricity? And of course, it's SSE. And then you do a little check as to what kind of profits SSE have been making. Uh, And SSE, at the end of March, recorded profits for the previous 12 months uh, of more than a billion pounds, right? So there's blame being put on the COVID situation and there's blame being put on the Ukraine war. Um, And I'm sure that that's part of the equation. But a huge part of the equation here is profiteering, you know. And something that needs to become part of the equation now is a serious pushback from ordinary people saying that we are not going to accept a situation where there's massive profiteering on the one hand and wages and social welfare payments are being held down by the government on the other. Now there's a budget coming up. So I'm going to offer your listeners an opportunity here, right? Okay. An offer that you, an offer that you can't refuse. All right. So Take out your pen, and here is a date for your diary. Saturday, September the 17th. Right? In other words, two weeks on from this Saturday. Be in the Grand Parade, down the library end, at 2 o'clock, right, for a major pre-budget cost-of-living protest. We need to make this into something that looks like the water charges campaign. 
to say that these electricity price increases need to be cancelled, to say that paying €20,000 a year in rent is completely not on. It needs to be not just frozen, but reduced. And something needs to be done about the issue of pay. How can a low-paid worker survive in this situation? And why are our public sector workers, including our health service workers like the nurses, being offered a pay cut uh, by the government? Have, so have you been, have you been watching Mick Lynch across, across the water in his unflinching support for workers and his filleting, and I mean filleting, on-air live of some of the best uh, news presenters in the, in the country in, in regard to workers cannot be blamed when huge corporations still extract their profit and expect their workers not even to keep up with inflation? Yes, I've been impressed by Mick Lynch, and I've been impressed by him on two scores, right? Uh, Number one, you have some presenters in the British media who treat um, people who fight for workers' rights like the dirt on their shoes, and he hasn't put up with that, and he's he's knocked them back in quite a witty way. But second of all, he's been very uh, basic... Uh, working class politics in pointing out that there's more billionaires than there ever has been before. And yet, as Jerry explained on your show earlier today, we have record numbers of working people having to go to the likes of the Vincent de Paul, mm-hmm. having to go to food banks, and so on. And he's saying, okay, we're not looking for, you know, the heavens to fall in. We're looking for pay increases for workers, which at the very least are at the rate of inflation or bust the rate yeah. of inflation. Mick, 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 can, I, can I jump in there? I, I'm not going to be able to cover as much as I would like to with you uh, because we've got News at 10 on the way. But can I ask you to come back to us after News at 10 directly and we'll cover the rest of uh, what I wanted to get through. Is that okay? Absolutely. Thanks, yeah, Mick. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Morning from the Neil Prendival Show. This is Mick Mulcahy and I want to give uh, a quick mention to a big, big fan of the programme. I got a personal message at home last night that uh, uh, one of the most faithful listeners to the Neil Prendival Show and even enjoys it when I'm on as well is Carmel O'Farrell in Glenthorne in Dublin Hill. Every best wish to you, Carmel. Uh, Just so I give you a quick little mention. And uh, to Teddy and Betty, Barry as well, who are regular and constant listeners in the east of the county, mostly down in y'all, of course, uh, Teddy and Betty of uh, of furniture fame, uh, enjoying uh, a well-deserved retirement, but constant listeners to the program. Now, lots of text coming in on the issues we covered in the last hour, but I did promise to get back to Mick Barry TD and to cover the rest of the ground that we couldn't do before News at 10. Thanks for holding, Mick. No problem, Mick. Okay. Now, I'd normally say that these these gatherings, and everyone has a right to free assembly and to free speech and all of that, but I'd normally say these gatherings are mostly shouting at the wind. You could say that that wasn't the case when it came to the elderly who mobilised against the water charges and gave the government pause for thought. And I think you're picking a good time here pre-budget if you get the numbers to say and send a clear message to the government, radical action now or there's going to be anarchy. Well, we've got um, three senior government ministers here in Cork. We have, obviously, Michal Martin, uh, Michael McGrath, and Simon Coveney, right? So I think we have an opportunity in Cork that people mightn't have elsewhere um, to really get out in big numbers, on the streets, uh, dignified, 
uh, well-organized, disciplined, but loud with a very clear message. And I think the message is that ordinary people, working people, people who are, you know, um, not wealthy at the top of society, etc., are not going to be the ones who are made to pay for this crisis. Uh, so I think Saturday, September the 17th is an important day. And I hope that people of all shapes and sizes uh, come out. I mean, we've got a lot of groups supporting it. Um, Penny Dinners are behind this march. The Cork Life Centre are behind this march. The Student Unions, the Socialist Party, Sinn Féin. Um, the parents of children with disabilities, FOSS, uh, are organising uh, their people for the demonstration. The water workers who fear being transferred over to Irish water and the, the return of water charges. Um, they're discussing coming out uh, on the demonstration. Uh, it has to be for everybody who is feeling the peach pinch and who is angry at the profiteering that is going on and the lack of action from the government. Okay, so this is a rally, it's not a march. People can go along and stand on the fringes if they want, if they don't want to vocally support or hold up placards or posters or whatever. No, it is a march. It is a march. We're assembling at the library uh, and we will walk through the streets of Cork uh, and we will appeal to the people of Cork to join in on the demonstration. It's a peaceful demonstration. It's a well-organized demonstration with a clear message that we are hurting and uh, that the winter is frightening for people and many will face the choice of heating or eating and we're demanding action from the government and we're raising a protest at the massive profiteering that is happening as we see with those electricity price increases. Okay. Uh, now, when, when you bring on essentially a socialist TD and you have socialist ideals, Mick, uh, it also, of course, has to be said, you're, in, you're one of the political elite being elected to Dáil Éireann. There's a 6.5% increase, around six and a half grand uh, being put your way as agreed on Monday. Are you accepting that? Are the others, um, you know, of your own ilk, Richard Boyd Barrett, Gino Kenny, Paul Murphy, Breed Smith, all shaking the increase? That's a scandalous increase. Uh, and it shouldn't go ahead. And uh, we would want there to be a vote in the Dáil on whether TDs should accept this, and we would cast our votes in favour of voting it down. I don't think the government will concede such a vote. So what I'll say for myself in that situation is that if that goes ahead, I will not benefit from that increase to the tune of one penny. In other words, I will donate every cent of it back to the fight to change society. Now, I will give some of it. Do you have to to give it to government coffers, or can you give it, for instance, to St. Vincent de Paul and Penny Dinners? Yes, the, 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 uh, I wouldn't give it back to the government because the government just will spend some of that on paying interest to foreign bankers and making the rich richer, etc. But I, I will donate um, uh, that to uh, people who are fighting to change society. So, for example, if we have cost of campaigns being organised around the country, I will donate some of that increase to help fund the cost of banners and placards for them and will not benefit myself to a penny but it shouldn't be going ahead in the first place um, okay. I mean we've seen with the whole Robert Troy thing how the majority of TDs in the doll are totally out of touch with the needs of ordinary people I mean we've got a massive housing crisis and then we discover that uh, well it's not discover because I knew it beforehand 
that, uh, you know, a quarter, a third of the doll are made up of uh, landlords, including people with 11 properties, 18 properties and what have you. And who suffer terribly from oversight now and again. Are you a property man, Mick? Is your uh, doll register show any rental properties? Not a not not a property man, not a not not a landlord. No, um, I'm I'm, yeah, no, I'm not a landlord. <laughs> okay, uh, I, I have another in- interview I need to get to, but I just want to ask you, you know, with with the TDs' salaries going, you know, it's not just the salaries. Of course, you'd have to wonder why are they getting paid expenses to stay in Dublin during their holidays over the summer? Why are these? There's no oversight on the expenses; they're always fully claimed. That's kind of a waste of money. But you have to kind of ask yourself the question. When, when, when the elite in politics, the TDs, the ministers, the junior ministers, ministers for state, are able to rack up and notch up house after house after house, how can they genuinely face their constituents, many of whom can't get uh, a foot and have been trying for 20 years uh, to stay and, and are, are now looking at an 80s-style uh, exodus, uh, the flight of the earls, whatever you want to call it, the brain drain it was called. It's going to happen again here. People just can't afford to stay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I was uh, listening to um, Jessica earlier on, uh, and we had a ban on evictions. We had a ban on evictions during the the, the COVID crisis, um, and the government decided, with the support of the Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael TDs and the Green TDs, to lift that ban on eviction. Not surprising when so many of them are landlords. And I saw something interesting about emigration you mentioned there and young people um, considering getting out of the country, not being able to afford uh, the price of a house, etc. I took a day out yesterday and I went to Belfast. Mick, I, I really um, need, be very quick please, I really need to get to uh, Kate. Oh, very briefly, yeah, yeah. I had been invited up to stand on picket lines with young workers who work as uh, postal workers and in call centres um, uh, who, are, who are campaigning for a real pay increase. And it was great to see young people standing up for their rights and pushing back for decent paying conditions. So look, okay. hopefully... Anyway, 17th, 17th, Saturday, two weeks, rally, one time, 2pm? 2 2pm 2 at the Grand Parade, Library Saturday the 17th. Hope to see everyone out there. Okay, this is not going to be shouting at the wind. You want to deliver a message that will be heard by government pre-budget. Thanks a million and thank you to Kate McGrew, who's been holding forever on Line 3. Hi, Kate. Hi there. Hi, thanks for holding. Now, you're, this is something completely different, but it is along the, you know, we're living in straightened times and students are turning to sex work to su- supplement their rent. Now, you're the co-convener of the European Sex Workers Alliance and still working as a sex worker. Is it fair for me to ask you that question? That's correct. Okay. So t- tell me about students turning to sex work to supplement their rent. Surely it's uh, it's a very grey area. It can't be... It can't be the safest activity in the world. Um, is, is it moderated in any way? How are they accessing clients? Because uh, many people listening right now are going to be shocked that we're even saying that. Students are turning to sex work to supplement their rent. Well, particularly since the pandemic, many people have been doing online work. So that's selling content. It's something like um, OnlyFans or Escort fans. And people have found that um, that it's a way to, like you said, supplement their income. Sometimes it's a, a way of having passive income. We try when we're talking to people that are wanting to do work to 
you know, discuss with them the things that are really challenging and frustrating about sex work and the reality of losing control of your image once it goes out there. But these are overwhelmingly people that are not doing this out of uh, desperation and destitution, but more just to have a bit of breathing space in their, in their life as they are facing rising living costs. It's not just housing costs, but it's cost of living across the board. Okay. Now, I know you appeared on the Tommy Tiernan show uh, on RT1 over the weekend uh, and told him that you set up stalls as a place for people to come and ask us anything. You also said we have young girls coming to us saying, I'm so glad you're here. I've been too embarrassed or ashamed to tell anyone I'm doing this kind of work. And it's very isolating. And it's great to see you here. Tell me about that service. Yes. I mean, we we would set up tables at... um at sort of student days just to be there as a, a point of information for people if they have questions or need support. You know, I, I personally have found that when people come to me interested in doing sex work, I, I tend to hear myself talking them out of it just because I, I sometimes find that, um, that in, I, I like to express to people all of the various things that uh, can go wrong and that are frustrating about doing work that's quasi-legal and very stigmatized. So, um, you know, we'd be very explicit about, about what the work is actually like, but we're there because we know that people are already doing this work, and it's critical that when people are, that they have people to talk with and that they have any kind of support that they need in a myriad of ways. So it's been very helpful to, to, to bring people in and to just be able to discuss with them what else they might need in their life, especially um, if they would prefer to do other kinds of work. But what we're finding is that people come to us saying, I've already been doing this, thankfully you're here, can I link in with you for support? Okay. Uh, and I imagine many of our listeners are wondering, you know, how is this sex work engaged in? Is it all uh, set up online? Is it p- people going to hotels? Is it being uh, picked up by a car on the side of the street? Is it a brothel situation? I mean, it's it's all of the above. Like, like I said, it seems to be most common uh, for younger people that they're doing online work. So that's doing virtual settings, it's, uh, virtual sessions. It's basically like uh, phone sex and video sex and, um, and selling pictures of yourself. Um, like I said, we, you know, really be clear with people about even though there are laws around um, revenge porn and things like this, that once your image is out in the world, you don't have control over it. But it's more common for younger people that that's the kind of work they're doing than in-person, yeah. interpersonal work. They, they might throw caution to the wind and it might come back to bite them 20 years later. Yeah, I mean, people need to realize that that's, that's, uh, that's the reality. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how long have you been in the sex trade, as it were? Uh, myself, I've been working, oh my goodness, I started working in New York City uh, 20 years ago. <laughs> so, um, but you know, um, things get better. Not, uh, we get more wise about what it is that we want to need and how to be, um, a, a good, uh, businesswoman and a, and a sexy woman anyways, as we grow. So, um, I'm happy to have been doing it for that long that I really know what I'm doing. And, um, and can really help other people should they need it. Well, did you need to get involved or were you naturally drawn to the profession? I was naturally drawn towards it. I was adventurous at the time and it, it was within the scope of things that I could imagine doing and I found it interesting. I find the, the world of sex quite fascinating psychologically and um, I sort of like the service industry anyways. I like meeting strangers and entertaining people. I'm a performer myself, so it was a natural a natural thing for me, really. Okay, and I suppose, you know, they call it the oldest profession in the world. When that uh, 
phrase or that, or that name was coined, it was a different profession. And now we live in a very woke society where there's gender fluidity. Uh, what I'm trying to get at, it's not just girls who are involved in the, in, in the sex trade by any stretch of the imagination. No, you're absolutely right. There, there are so many, um, so many men doing it as well. They, they don't really get talked about in a very paternalistic and infantilizing way towards women because they're perceived as being able to take care of themselves or knowing more what they want to do or, or having more control or confidence with their sexuality. But there are huge numbers of men who do the work as well. Huge numbers, for sure. Is there a certain element of bravado there in that it's, uh, for a man it's nice work if you can get it? And for a woman, you could be called anything uh, to being demeaned as a slut or something. Well, yeah, it's certainly a lot of misogyny around the sort of kinds of concern that people have about women who are doing the work, for sure. Okay, now we're not in in any way advocating uh, that any of our listeners uh, who may be students or who may be in need enter the profession. Uh, What we're really trying to do is that there are people like yourself who can be a good centre of information and advice uh, on just even not just on physical safety, uh, but on sexual safety. Absolutely, you know we're here to help with any host of issues that people might have. It's to link in to other supports if they are around housing issues or childcare or sexual health or anything like this or mental health. Anything that we can do, um, it's really important that we be able to to sort of be there as part of the landscape because, as you said yourself, it can be quite isolating. That doesn't help anybody. Now, I know that illegality and stigma have been forced upon sex workers in Sweden. They've got a new model of criminalization there. Uh, Can you tell me the the exact lie of the land, if you like, um, Legally wise, legal wise in in Ireland is is it's still a prohibited activity? Yeah. Sure, we have the same law that they that they have in Sweden, so it's legal to do in person work um, if you're working alone. But if you work with a friend, even just one friend, they call that a brothel, and so that is deemed illegal. Of course, that's a really horrible, horrible law because it forces us to be alone if we want to work legally, um, and. Um, also, our clients have now been made illegal. So that's obviously a horrible uh, law as well. Um, it's, it's criminalizing our income. It doesn't help any working woman whatsoever. It's an unworkable law. And it also means that because our clients are our income, we're essentially forced to care about protecting them more than we are to care about protecting ourselves. You know, um, clients are coming to us because they... they are looking for the sort of leisure activity, if you will. But we are doing the work because we need money. So we have more incentive um, to to make sure that the transaction happens. And um, so it, it's really created a problem that, that our clients have been made uh, criminal now. It, it essentially uh, forces us to act the same. Um, I, I think it was a move to try and stop perceiving us as criminals and start perceiving us as victims, but it's had the same effect of isolating us where people are still getting evicted, deported, uh, arrested, as I said, for just working with a friend. So it, it's a really bad and unworkable law. And what we would be seeking is full decriminalization, so we could hire security if we wanted, so that we could... Um, work more above board with our clients, that we could take a, a bad boss to court, etc. We want to have legal recourse to justice and just be more um, linked into the system, basically, so that we can get support. Okay, if the transaction of services takes place and then the transaction financially is refused, what sort of situations does that leave you in? 
sorry, say that again. The transaction is refused. If the transaction of services is, you know, uh, takes place, and then the uh-huh. client refuses to pay, do you have any anything you can do? Right. Again, um, you know, there was a report that came out from the University of Limerick about. Um, people working in the street and what came up a lot is our, our struggle uh, people who work in the street their struggle with Gardi and and the distrust amongst um, reporting to Gardi and the lack of result in and when that is done so i mean obviously people try and get the money up front but um but what, where we have problems with clients people are weighing up um the the decision they say if i go to Gardi will i be taken seriously will i get my money back versus the, the problem of them then being on the radar of Gardee as being known as somebody who's doing work and in the future um, having their clients taken from them, even their good clients, which continues to be these people's income. Okay, it's not the safest area to work in. We all know that. But are young people aware of the dangers when they go into sex work? Is it seen as a, an attractive way to make a quick buck without realizing any of the effects it might have on future career prospects? Vulnerable position, putting them in a vulnerable position for stalkers, potentially affecting future relationships, uh, maybe mental health issues. How does the legality um, impact here? And, and, you know, once again, we're not putting it across as an attractive way to make a quick buck. But I'm looking at some of the stats here. Uh, the extent of student sex work was shown before the introduction of a new law, which I'll talk to you about in a moment, in a national newspaper back in 2014. It said 93 students in one year Irish university alone had signed up for sugaring. So there's a lot of questions in there. Um, you know, are they aware of the dangers? Do they see it as attractive? And please enlighten us all. What's sugaring? Sure. So sugaring is, um, it, it's a funny one because it's it's basically getting into a quasi relationship with a person and and um so so they're not paid per interaction um in the same way that that straight sort of full service workers are but it's more sort of that people are feigning to be in sort of a relationship together and then this person will give the the worker money periodically so it's a retainer Agreement, sure, if you will, but but I think what what's um, again what's frustrating about the stigma is that that kind of work becomes more sort of outwardly appealing to young people potentially because it's not seen as sort of straightforward prostitution. But what ends up happening is, um, um, especially with that kind of scenario, is they end up overgiving way too much and and um, and having essentially less um, independence and power than they would if they were doing just sort of um, straight full-service work. Again, I'm I'm not suggesting that at all. It's just that these are the reasons why we go in and say, you need to understand the the, the consequences and the realities of doing this kind of work. I don't know any working person who's who's really done the work that glamorizes it or, or, or glosses over the things that are frustrating. Every time we talk to people who do it, we find ourselves emphasizing again and again and again the challenges of doing this kind of work within society. You know, um, we are explicit about this always, always, always. So anyone who's considering entering the trade, as it were, should really talk to you first at the European Sex Workers Alliance. Now, there's been a there's been a special report produced by the Department of Justice in Northern Ireland. And can you tell me about that? And and I think you're calling on lawmakers here to take that report into account. So we are trying to get the government to. Um, there was a review done about the about the law as it stands here. Um, this report just came out called "I, I um, Am Some Person" from the University of Limerick, and we're really trying to 
to get the government to hear that sex workers are unequivocally saying we do not want this law. It, 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 it's not a harmless law. It is a harmful law. It, it, has, it has reversed any steps that we have made towards labor rights, which is really what sex workers need. We especially, more than anybody, need the ability to unionize and to work cooperatively and to be able to have avenues within the criminal justice system for when we have problems with bosses or clients. And so we're just um, we're just asking, we're demanding that, that, that the government here, that they take directions from people that do the work ourselves, because we know better than anybody else what it is that we need. Okay. I'm reminded of a line from Paul Simons, the boxer from 1967. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I do declare there were some times I was so lonesome I took some comfort there. And, <laughs> you know, people are probably stigmatized for using... Uh, sexual services, but you are also dealing with people with physical disability who may be completely shy, who may have social phobias, who may not be able to, uh, you know, acquire a, a love partner in the normal social settings. Uh, and uh, as such, would you see that as a service to society? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, that's the thing. It, it is due to the law and it's due to the stigma, the stigma in the criminal law that, that this environment um, is so tricky to navigate. Potentially, of course, this kind of transaction could be wholesome and a very good service to many people. Of course it could. It's a very natural and wonderful thing. But due to the criminal law, due to the stigmatization, um, we're having to navigate it as if we're um, as if we're criminals ourselves. To, to what extent, and you know, I know you can only answer personally here, but to what extent yeah. do you feel that the availability of sex, sex services combats repressed sexual deviancy? Yes, I mean, it, it, you know, and it's not to say that, um, that we are sort of the, the, the receiving end for people's um, something that they might lash out with against society otherwise. However, it is, of course, true that, um, that we are often entertaining fetishes that people might be too shy to ask for uh, within their relationship. That does occur, of course. It is a safe space for people to, to um, engage in uh, fantasies. And, you know, once everybody has agreed about what the parameters of the session are, there's no harm done. It okay. stays there. Okay, we're going to have very polarized opinion on on, on this interview. So um, let me let me finish by saying there, you know, there is your organization, Sex Workers Alliance, a European Sex Workers Alliance. How do people make contact with you if they need advice? Sure. Well, there's Sex Workers Alliance Ireland. There's also European Sex Workers Alliance, um, and it's all over the socials. Just type it into your little googly box there, and off you go. All right. Uh, thank you for a very enlightening conversation, Kate McGrew. I hope I was fair enough uh, to all sides of, of the debate. But as it stands, you're calling for uh, certain law changes to, to bring a, a safer, sexual, active environment for those who you will contend need the services. That's correct. Decriminalization and uh, everybody across the board get in touch with us. Okay. Kate, thanks very much. Kate McGrew, co-convener of the European Sex Workers Alliance and recent guest on the Tommy Tiernan Show. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. 25 to 11. Good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. John Mark McCafferty joins us on line one. Good morning, John Mark. Good morning. How you doing? No, very good. Um, if, you know, if a little 
concern that there's so much worry out there and we're reflecting so many uh, negative stories, uh, people living in desperation uh, and in not making uh, you know, it a happier program. But uh, with apologies for that, we have to deal with the issues at hand. You are the CEO of Threshold. Uh, that can't be an easy position. You work with people who are homeless and those trying to secure housing. Well, yeah, we're, we're the um, national housing charity working with uh, private renters. And, uh, you know, our task is to advise and empower private renters to, to stay in their homes and to and to know their rights. Um, um, it's a very kind of confusing um, legislative environment out there. So um, our advisors in Cork um, and in Dublin and Galway um, are there to assist and advise private renters on, on issues, queries big and small, but also with the, some of the really big challenges that you've, you've already kind of talked about this morning. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're tasked with trying to prevent homelessness. So unlike, the, the, I suppose, the other homeless charities, our role is to stop homelessness before it happens. Um, by working within the private rented sector to assist and advise um, private renters and their families mm. so that hopefully they can stay in their homes. Now, I know um, you have some experience. I know you have a lot of experience in this area, John Mark, and I'm not sure if you heard Jerry Garvey's interview earlier this morning from the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. But prior to your involvement with Threshold, you were the head of social justice and policy with the Society yeah. of St. Vincent de Paul. So some of the issues kind of overlap, don't they? Absolutely, and I suppose it's probably why I got the job in, in Threshold because of my time with the society. It's an amazing charity and it has a huge reach right across the country and a very, very active uh, region in, in Cork in the southwest. And, and, and I recall Jerry, um, and, and we indeed at Threshold work very closely with the society of submitted to Paul in Cork in relation to um, you know, assisting families and assisting individuals because, you know, while the society has, I suppose, they have the, kind of the cash supports and they have the reach um, into the communities, we have the um, the expertise in terms of the rental uh, legislation and being able to advise people. So I suppose we're, where we both work very closely is in relation to um, tenants, private rented sector tenants who are struggling in their tenancy um, and you know, um, income might be an issue um, and, and rental affordability might be an issue, but we can work jointly to assist and, and kind of address housing problems in a whole host of ways across uh, Cork, city and county. OK, why are so many landlords selling up, as it would seem? Um, there's a whole number of reasons. One of them is the, uh, the kind of, uh, I suppose, the prices that they can uh, secure on the market now. Um, many were holding on to properties from, you know, 10, 15 years ago or, or longer. And now the market is much more favourable. Yeah. Some, are, some are getting out because of tax uh, arrangements and the capital gains tax arrangements. It's it's now uh, and has been for the, for the last kind of 18 months um, more uh, opportune for them to, to Yeah, the long, longer you hold the house, less. the less capital gains. Yeah. If, if, yeah. Uh, but is it a sense with some landlords, I'd rather take the profit than uh, take the brain damage? Um. It might be for some of them. Um, it, look, it's certainly a, a complex area in terms of legislation and trying to kind of keep uh, right in terms of legislation. We have more um, protections for tenants, but it means that the legislation itself is much more complex and harder to navigate for both tenant and landlords. Um, and if you're a smaller landlord, and the vast majority of, of, of renters are renting off landlords that only have one property or two properties, um, 
there's a lot more moving parts um, in, in relation to trying to, to be a landlord today. Um, but of course, that's offset by the, the, the level of rents that, that have been asked and are being asked in, in, in many cases. So, um, look, landlords are, are, are making um, decisions, um, but there's a whole host of reasons why they might be selling up at this time. Uh, I suppose if you're in a rental situation, it isn't cheap anywhere in the country. And I suppose if you have if you have a family, you want to put clothes on their backs, you want to keep them warm and fed during the winter, you want to make sure they have all the school requirements they need. Is that putting pressure and maybe uh, having a little bit of a delinquency on uh, on them being able to afford and maintain regular rental payments? It's certainly putting pressure. It's been being it has been putting pressure on tenants for, for a very long time, especially those on lower and, and middle incomes. And we have a, a number of things happening right now, back to school, um, I suppose the, the worry of energy costs, because the energy costs are, are, are going to be a real shock in the coming months. Um, and that is a, a massive factor when you take into account uh, the fact that, that rents themselves continue to increase. Um, and there are areas that are not covered by the rent pressure zones as well, that where our rents are kind of hiking up. And there are cases where um, landlords are not adhering to the rent pressure zone um, limits of two percent per annum, and are, are increasing higher than uh, higher than that. So there's a number of things that are happening, kind of all at the same time. Consumer sentiment is generally down. Um, so it's it's a it's a concern for for families, and I suppose the, the the reassuring thing I can say is you know that there are organisations like the Society of Women's Paul, like Thresholds, who are there to assist and advise and support um, struggling uh, private rented tenants and their families at this time. Okay, maybe not an area that you're directly involved in anymore, but can we lean on your experience? John Mark McCafferty, the CEO of Threshold, to talk about uh, those students who would like to rent accommodation. We're hearing of students desperately looking for accommodation ahead of the new academic year and also being targeted by sophisticated scams. And Gardaí have issued an urgent warning to all undergraduates to only use recognised letting agencies or people you trust. Have you any advice in that area? Absolutely, and this is an area we are working in. So, okay. we're saying to potential renters who are, you know, they're so desperate to secure accommodation that they risk letting their guard down and, and taking some risks here. But if it seems too good to be true, if some letting or advert seems too good to be true, it probably is. And if in doubt, to phone threshold before doing anything. But always to report any suspicious activities and, and scams to Angarda Shirkana. But I think in order to be kind of scam aware at this time, um, it's important to insist on a number of things, to insist on viewing the property first before agreeing anything, to insist on getting proper contact details for the landlord and meeting the landlord in person, uh, to insist on getting the key at the property and checking the keys in the locks to ensure that they work prior to agreeing anything, to insist on getting full direct answers to specific questions from the landlord and to get a proper receipt from your rent and your deposit and ideally to pay pay by credit cards. We'd be wary of things like vague answers from people who appear to be landlords. That would be a red flag. Landlords insist on payment before you sign the lease. Um, Websites which appear to be government websites related to renting, but where the purpose of the site is to look for money. Because websites can be cloned, so you should check the URL to make sure it's a real website and take note of the privacy and refund policy sections. You need to do your reading as well. Absolutely. Also yeah, be very yeah, wary of social media advertisements, would you say? 
Yeah, I mean, if, if, don't communicate only via text, WhatsApp, or social media because the scammers are using those channels exclusively to, and that, this avoids scrutiny. Um, to, uh, to avoid transferring money direct by paying cash or to pay, to pay into crypto. If there's anything to do with crypto and renting, I wouldn't touch it with a barge pole. Um, and to pay f- and, and avoid paying for long-term rental accommodation via a short-term letting website okay. or a site seeking payment in cryptocurrency, they are big red flags. We're in the college time frame, I suppose, the return to college time frame, August to October. This will show a spike in accommodation fraud as well. Now, half of this is happening in Dublin, but the figures are staggering. 291,000 stolen in 2022 versus about a quarter of a million in 2019. So it's out there, it's rampant, and people need to take great care. Absolutely. You know, a lot of people are just joining the private rent sector right now as they go back to college or, or start a job after the summer or whatever. Um, and it's it sh- what should be an exciting time is an incredibly stressful time and a, a kind of a, a, a time laden with risks. And that's why we're, we're, we're kind of um, underlining what the guards are saying um, here in Threshold. We're about insisting on certain key things there, being very, very wary of, of certain behaviours. And just to, to rule out certain behaviours, you know, um, communicating only by social media um, and, you know, by, by paying directly, paying cash, the cryptocurrency thing. You know, people just have to really be very, very vigilant. If they, they are in doubt, they can phone us and we can advise. But any suspicious activities and experience of scams directly to Angardish Econ, and that's a criminal matter. Okay, so if, if you have any vague fears, you can get in touch with Threshold How. 1800-454-454, that's 1800-454-454, threshold.ie, we have web chats, um, and um, you can also arrange a, a, a video conference um, through through the web chat, and face-to-face, um, we're in South Mall, 22 South Mall, uh, we're currently open Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, as, we, as we move uh, towards kind of a full reopening. Um, but certainly we're, we're there Tuesdays and Thursdays in 22 South Mile, threshold.ie and 1800 454 Okay, uh, can I ask you uh, for a personal projection, please? As a CEO, you must see and, and map trends in the marketplace. What kind of Ireland are we looking at rental-wise and property availability-wise? Notwithstanding, there could be a huge crash. Uh, we, don't, we don't have a crystal ball, but we're seeing landlords fleeing the market, selling up at the top of the market, uh, cost of living spiralling, squeezes on tenants, squeezes on students, struggling to find accommodation. Uh, if a house goes up for rent uh, in any auctioneer around the country, their, prob- their, their genuine business of trying to sell houses is probably swamped with applications. Well, what do you see the next uh, two to five years being like in Ireland? Difficult, really challenging. I don't want to overly burden or worry people, but it will continue to be difficult. It has been difficult for the last, um, all, well, eight eight years in the private rented sector for, for different reasons. Um, initially, it was about affordability, and now it's about affordability and availability. Um, so that will continue. Clearly, what we're looking for is greater output, um, more supply of, of housing across the board, whether that's owner-occupied housing, social housing, um and we also need um, uh, more cost rental housing. So that's a welcome um, input into the housing market. It's uh, you know, more affordable rental provided by the approved housing bodies. We need to see that at scale um, across the country, including Cork City and County. Um, and, and that should ease certain pressures. Um, but for the next number of years, it's going to be a bumpy ride. It's mm. going to be difficult. And um, 
we are there to advise and assist people uh, at threshold on 1800-454-454. Okay, 1800-454-454. Just one final question. What about relaxed planning guidelines when it comes to little Johnny or Mary living in uh, and building in Mammy and Daddy's garden if they have the room? It's a balance and everything. Um, ultimately, these structures will be up for a very long time. So um, I, I'm all for kind of pragmatic approaches and solutions to address the, uh, the shortage. Um, but I suppose the, the the worry is that, you know, you, you, you have a short term fix, which might have a kind of a longer term problem. So you just got to balance like good planning and, 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 good, and, and good kind of building with with available uh, available housing. And there's still a whole heap of, of derelict and vacant um, land and buildings that can be better used both through the tax system and through the planning system um, and through local local government involvement and local government initiatives. And I think there can be a lot more creativity there. But certainly th- th- there is scope for further um, flexibility in relation to uh, trying to come up with, um, with solutions that work both in the short term but also in the long term. Okay, you've CEO as a title, uh, John Marp McCafferty, but I don't envy you your difficult job. CEO of Threshold, 1-800-454-454. For anything that's in your mind regarding landlords, rental, uh, being squeezed or being suspicious of a property that may be up for accommodation rental for students, uh, Threshold can help. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Cheers. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And we've lots of texts to get through about the business of the programme this morning. But first, let's uh, continue with our varying topics and a change of topic now to Bernadette on line two. Hi, Bernadette. Driving test disaster, is it? Yes. Good morning. How are you? Good. What happened? Um, My son is 20 years old. Now, he had his driving test this morning at 8.30 in the race course in Mallow. Okay. So, my my son proceeded to the race course. He was there in plenty of time and everything. Now, um, the driving instructor refused to sit into a brand new car that was spotlessly clean. It was cleaned twice yesterday. She refused to take my son out for his driving test. Why was that? Because she perceived that there was a smell out of the car. A smell of what? Cleanliness? Probably. That's very strange. Now, if there was, if there was an acrid smell or there was, you know, you had a dead fish in the back or something, you, you, you know, you might understand. But you say you cleaned the car twice yesterday. The car, it's a one-to-one car. It was clean. Two to one. No, one to one. Okay. It's a new. It's a new car. It's about a year, year and a half old. Yeah, one to one would be in thousand and two thousand and twelve. So it's two thousand twenty-two. Yes. Okay, so it's a two to one. I mean, I mean, the car was cleaned twice yesterday. It was washed inside and outside. Now this driving instructor opened the passenger's door. She did not even into the car because she perceived that there was a smell out of the car. If you, were now, to get, if, you, if you were to get a smell out of a car without getting into it, it must be a pretty strong smell if you're in the open air. 
Absolutely. Okay, now I look. The driving instructor obviously had their own reasons, um, but uh, this this doesn't help your son, who now has to wait how long to sit the test again? Um, he has to wait until the middle of October to actually book his driving test. Again. Okay, and you got no smell in the car on the way over, nothing burning, the asbestos smell of brakes or anything. It's a pretty new car, like. Absolutely not. I mean, I would invite anybody to come and sit into the car right now. Okay. We have a listener asking, uh, do you think they failed him on purpose, uh, purpose to reach a quota? I wouldn't imagine that's the case on the 1st of September. Uh, however real it might be, if at all, on the 31st of August, uh, but on, on, on the start of a month. Absolutely, mm. yes. So he needs the car for work, which is, which is the big point here, isn't it? Absolutely. His job is on the line and everything, you know. And he he's a great, great young fella. You know, he worked so hard, you know, to spare his money, do all his lessons, and, and this is what he gets. And as a parent, I know that's that's giving you some anguish. Um, so how did he feel afterwards? Uh, after working oh, so he, hard he, to fund everything and pay for the test and all of that? Could, could he not have gone in and looked for a different tester? I mean, he actually rang the guy that he did his driving lessons with, like, and he was just absolutely baffled by it as well, like. But normally the driving test, um, the instructors for driving to get you ready for the test, well, you know, they'd have a passing relationship with, with those who are doing the tests, as, as many mechanics would, you know, maybe have a passing relationship with bringing cars to the NCT or something, they'd... You know, they'd say, you know, okay, what's wrong? They wouldn't even look at the, the NCT failure. They'd say, okay, what's wrong with the car? This, this, and this. They get to know them. So is, is there any representation that the instructor can give to the tester or can, can ascertain from the driving test center itself? Uh, I mean, what kind of smell? There, I mean, my, my son came back home. I sat into the car. There is absolutely no smell whatsoever out of the car. Only the smell of new car. Yes, and it is absolutely spotless. Okay. Uh, we, have a text, uh, I mean, like, we have a text here, uh, Bernadette. Strong smells trigger migraines in many of my family members and me, so I understand the tester. Me, my dad and two siblings have to run through duty-free because of the strong perfumes. I worked with a girl who doused herself in impulse spray and I had to go home sick with migraine because of the strong smell. But that's not really a, uh, that doesn't really apply to today, standing in the open air, declaring there's a smell. No, no. No. I mean, you know how they have to open the bonnet of the car and everything, you know, to course, show yeah. them how everything is. And um, she proceeds to the passenger's door, just opened the door. Oh, I'm not getting into that thing. She says there's an awful smell out of that. Well, of course, it's subjective. It's like back pain. You can't really identify it. It's a very subjective thing. How do you feel now for your son? Absolutely. I mean, he still had to pay for Eighty-five euro this morning. No, that, that, that doesn't co- that doesn't cover the next test. That must make you very angry, does it? Absolutely, one hundred percent. No, that doesn't cover the next test. Okay, and if somebody gets a smell out of the car the next time, where do you go? I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, how, how can this be allowed? You know, I mean, really, like that's what I'm. I mean, I'm fuming because she. Did not even sit into the car. She just opened the door. Oh, there's a smell out of that. I'm not getting into it. 
Okay, it's a handy 85 euro, I guess, for uh, Mallow Driving Test Centre. Um, thanks, Bernadette. We'll see if we can follow up on it for you and, and why somebody would give such a reason. Um, maybe they are triggered by vague smells. Maybe the car was too clean and, and smelling of cleanliness. Maybe that's what it is. But thank you for, for contacting us and we'll see if we can get to the bottom of it. Thanks a million, Bernadette. Okay, thank you, Thanks, cheers. Bye-bye. News at 11 is on the way. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. 104 to 106. Red FM. This is the Neil Frienderville Show. Okay, back to our phone lines in a moment, but uh, by text to the program, uh, this girl needs a reality check. It's a disgrace the way she's speaking, complaining about people looking at her on social media, everything that's wrong with society. That's uh, regarding uh, an interview yesterday. We have many, many texts on the pubs. Mick, these publicans gave up on their staff a long time ago. Long hours and poor pay to reap the rewards and now the guard has shifted and I've no sympathy for them. I spent years in the trade and luckily got into a great career in pharmaceuticals. I grew up in Blackpool in the 70s and 80s between the Grotto and Murphy's Brewery. There were about 37 pubs. Today, about seven. Says Frank, you see hotels screwing people and now they're back cap in hand as kids have gone to school. Uh, No more than 300 to 500 a night. I knew it would bite back. Uh, Close up and give it to Ukrainian people and not anti-Ukrainian by any means. It's price gouging by all. Can't say I fully understand that text, but we read it out for what it is. Hey, Mick, just to say, I was in a city centre pub last night and I paid five ninety for a pint of Murphy's. My friend paid six forty for a San Miguel. Total rip-off Ireland. Was that a pint or a bottle of San Miguel, I wonder? Uh, Mick, I'm listening to your show, and in particular the piece about the cost keeping a bar open. It's true you can't get a taxi in or out of the city, but the simple suggestion of Uber and the like has all the taxi drivers up in arms. They can't provide the people with a service, but also they don't want anyone else servicing the people. I can't understand how the bars, cafes, restaurants, etc., haven't stood up to the taxi drivers. Taxi drivers, by the way, getting a 12% increase as of today. You can get a cocktail in your local for 6 or 7 euro. You go to town, it's 10 to 13 euro. Same drink going into the glass. And a couple more. Uh, sure, they must have made a fortune at all the concerts charging through the nose for plastic glasses of beer. Uh, Airgrid warned on the 3rd of October 2021 that Ireland would have a deficit of 216 megawatts. By 2022, this would increase to 1,050 megawatts in 2023, uh, rising to 1,850 in 2024. And I was reading a report in one of the morning papers where on his first day in office, uh, pretty much those figures were given to Minister Eamon Ryan. Let's go to two, uh, line two and to Tom. Hi, Tom. How are you going? How's it going, Mick? Not too bad. Country is a joke, uh, you're going to say? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's gone beyond a joke now, Mick, really, at this stage. Like, I'm um, just sitting here now, enraged, boiled, incensed, listening to the crap that has been on the radio, been on the television. Your, your, phone, your phone line's going in and out, Tom. Can, are, you, are, you can you ba- are you in a bad area? No, I'm not in a bad area at all. Can you hear me? I can hear you now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just, I'm sitting here now, just enraged and boiled. Um listening to the crap on the radio and the television for the last couple of months, right? i just uh-huh. tell you why. You know what we are now, Mick? I heard this old saying before that we're the fighting Irish, right? You know what we are? Sheep. We're cowards. And that comes with an awful brace on me, right? We're cowards, right? And i tell you why. 
They got a six and a half thousand pay rise against this morning, okay? Parky Kiev are putting 80 refugees up, right? It's not their fault. It's not the Ukrainians' fault, right? Everybody is blaming the Ukrainians and the refugees, right? How do you mean Parky Kiev is putting them up? I was unaware Parky, of that. Yeah, Parky Kiev are housing 80 refugees going into the, going into the centre down there, okay? Okay. Until September, until September, I think, right? But beyond that point, right? Beyond that point, the NGO crap that I listened to, okay, right, this non-government organization that we're handing out nearly, we actually upped it, Britain cancelled it, but well, they didn't cancel it, they caught it by nearly 140 million, right? We upped it, right? What about Eileen and John that are living on our streets, our own citizens, right, that are pissing themselves in the pants, right, with addiction problems and everything, right? Where are they being housed? You know, over the last couple of weeks, I've been listening about leave Ukrainians alone, leave their, their, their refugees alone in the centres, okay? We're feeding these centres, profiteering these centres with money, okay? It's not their fault, I get it, understand, right? But got back to the NGO, right? Giving money abroad, right? That's a load of crap. Yes, we have our politicians, our Michael McGrath, right, Michal Martins, or Coveney's, right, giving themselves six and a half thousand pay rises. I know people, or ten thousand, right, to get about, like, I, there are homeless people, or children that are living in hotels, okay, at the moment, going to second schools, right, right, well, they give themselves pay rises. Do you know what? I'll get back to what I first said, Mick, right? Can we just be we clear, are, can we just be clear, Tom? Politician salaries are pegged to upper grades in the civil service. To upper grade through through the civil servants, which lays down to our councillors as well. Now you'll have councillors come on, on on your radio station either tomorrow when they say this. It's all pay graded down. Well on no second, right? Why can't that be choreographed in to our NGO payments that we give across the water? Why are we doing this? Why are we leaving our citizens? Lying on the, on the street, overdosing, pissing on themselves. And I'll get back now to what I, I said in the, in the first part of my, of my paraphrase, right? Okay? Okay. We have our citizens there at the moment, right? Who are going out the food banks. We have our penny dinners who are and or Simon, right, and or SVP, all of these, all these organists, Pieta House, who have to go out and absolutely go out and beg for money, do different things, go for walks and everything, okay? We're, we're able to house everyone, we're able to straight away house Ukrainians, house everyone at the moment, right? No, I get back to what I said, I don't blame them, I blame our government, right? Let, 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 me, let, me, let me read you a text here, Tom, that I've been holding back and it's just probably the right time now uh, to read it out. Here's what a texter texted in about an hour ago. Homeless people hiding away in doorways down lanes need to tent up on the streets, uh, on the streets where TDs live, and then they'll be fully aware of the amount of homeless uh, there is and how they struggle. And it would be a nice experience for no, their own kids no, on the way to school every morning. No, okay, okay. I, I 100% you had a guy on the radio there a couple of weeks ago. His name was Timmy Bly. Or, or no, Derek Bly, right? Yes. So did Neil, I actually, am. last week. No, Neil, sorry. Neil, sorry. 100%. Yeah, I had him on about a month I ago. Am. Yeah. 
I absolutely 100% agree with him. And, and, and the base is that he doesn't blame the Ukraine. She blames the extra structure at the moment of this government. And also, right, another, another clangor this morning when I was listening to it, Derek O'Leary, who was given another ministerial um, um, uh, portfolio again after leaving, resigning from the golf gate. I mean, if that's not <laughs> shoving it in the face of the public, giving this man... No, if you reply, right, if you're in an office and you do something wrong, right, okay, you're marked then. Yeah, but this is politics. Serve your time off the gravy train. Just keep rolling alongside the gravy train and you'll eventually hop back up. Let, 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 let me give you the figures as to how, I won't say hypocritical, but you, you might call this hypocritical, but a full cabinet minister is currently paid €183,923, while a minister of state receives 141647 That means that Derek O'Leary has, with the swipe of a pen, seen a €40,000 pay bump by being added to the junior ranks to replace Robert Troy, who resigned. Now, the political sentiment is, and you know, you, you hear the buzz from Leinster House now and again, is that he'll be a full minister come the Christmas reshuffle. Back up to 183,923. Yeah. So there you go. I mean, I mean, there you go. I mean, it's an end and end. And I'm going back to what we are called. We're cowards. We as a nation, we're defining ours me whole. I'm sorry for crossing, right? What we are, are a bunch of layabouts that sit down and take this off this government. And that's how we do. And come here, you had the people before profit um, going on this morning. He marked down, mark this down on your calendar on the 17th. If he was in 17th of September, if he was in, if he was in front of me, no, right? I'm mm-hmm. telling you no. I give him a ball of it because I tell you, what is he going to do? What are we going to do? Broke on the streets and protest, right? Everybody is shagged in this country. Right? Well, at least he's Everybody. not taking a penny of the increase. A hundred percent. And I'll say that for Sinn Féin as well, even though I'm not um, um, affiliated to Sinn Féin. I give that to him, right? A hundred percent, right? But what we need to do is stop. Stop lying down. It's, it's Enough is enough. Enough is enough. You've an increase in the food banks. You've an increase in penny dinners, right? We're absolutely screwed in this country. And what do we do? What do we do? And you're going to criticise me, and a lot of people are going to criticise me. What they're going to say next? A lot of people that are texting into your show, right? Mm-hmm. Right, which I'm, I'm, I'm completely listening to all the time. Okay, is leave, get this guy off the radio, get this guy off this, get this guy p- p- pointing his views across, right? And then no, and it's look, listen, I'm not a mind leader, and I'm going to be straight up with you here. A lot of those people don't have problems like you and me and every other person in this country has. It's just a little but, uncomfortable radio for some people. And, and uh, only a very small percentage of people will contact a radio station anyway. I, I, I get that, Mick, right? But the people who do, and you know what I call them? I call them do-gooders, right? The people who don't have problems like the rest of us do have. The people who are retirees, which are quite, uh, quite entitled to be retirees, right? That they just don't grasp the situation that is involved in this country at the moment. And we're, I'm going back to our, our first phase now at the moment again, my first comment. We're cowards. We're sitting back. We're taking it. And we're going to take it for the next, I don't know how long, until we actually step up and just pull this crap. No, we need to shut this place down. We need to 
stand up for ourselves once and for all and put an end to this crap that we're taking. I mentioned Mick Lynch, uh, the, the trade union activist in the UK, when, yeah. when I was talking to uh, Mick Barry. Uh, and, and they at least are doing what you would advocate, that they're shutting down services because uh, rising costs of pay are being blamed for the, you know, f- for the inflation when it's actually profiteering from the major corporations. It's profiteering. I was listening to Mick Lynch the other day, right? And he's been interviewed outside uh, um, um, in Manchester and the banners behind him, right? I was looking at him, right? He's dead right. He's dead right. What they're actually doing was, if, if you go and strike, they were saying to Mick Lynch, right? If, you're, if, you're, if your members go and strike, what we're going to do is we're going to supplement that you know, the, the staff shortages with, with, um, with staff outside, right? With uh, what, um, agency staff, right? Right? Okay. I'm listening to him. He's absolutely, completely right. We should be doing this in this country. But do you know what we'll do? We won't protest on the 17th of September. We'll all have our banners out. We'll sit in Pana or we'll go to Dawn Square and we'll just do the same bloody thing all the second time and not listen to what... Poor old Eileen and poor old John, they're pissing themselves, I'm trying to recall it, pissing themselves out in the street. They have addiction problems, but people pass them in the street. They're still an Irish citizen. They're still, they're still, they don't plead the same as me. They don't plead differently the same as me or you, mate. Tom, can I, can yeah. I give us some texts about you now? Because, uh, you know, we're always mindful of texts coming in. Here's one. Yeah. I hear that man's anger. It's outrageous. Make well done for letting this man speak. Very good speaker. Uh, Tom is making so much sense. Uh, I think this guy is great, full of passion and fight. I totally agree with that gentleman. We're cowards. We need to get onto the streets. We're not a rebel county anymore. My French friends have asked me, are we all dead over here? Uh, That we're taking this. Now, this is their words, not mine, from this vile, unelected government. A hundred percent. You guys go, a hundred percent. What are we doing? You know what? You know, we might as well just take it on the chin again. Again and again and again. It's like going back to the old Hawhey days and the Ahern days, right? Right? You opened door system when, when, when Hawhey left it in, or when Ahern left it in, right? It was just, we're going back. And uh, look, don't get me anti-immigration, all right? I don't uh, look, on, 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 on the flip side, we have a texture saying, how come you have so much time to be on the air? Do you work and what do you work as? Yes, I work. I, I actually work hard. I actually work six days a week. I get up at five o'clock in the morning. I don't finish till five, Okay. Okay. You go back onto that person there and give. I actually ask that person, "What do they work at? What do they work at?" Okay, I don't have that power, but uh, can, can I ask well, you? Uh, don't don't consider this question flippant in any way. Now you're working six days a week, starting at five o'clock in the morning. Does your take-home pay actually do much more than take you home? Take me home. That's it. That's it. Take you home with all the other costs up on top of up on top of the the, the, the high cost of living at the moment. So what, what, do you, what do you see as the future over the next two to three years in this country? Jeez. <laughs> I'll be bringing you again in two or three years, <laughs> I'd say, because at this stage, we're just nothing but a people, we're a country just full of, we just lay down and take this crap. I'd love to see a country, right, where a government is in there, right, actually sticking up for their people. Actually, tens shorts up politicians out on the street and looking and helping people walking around and seeing what's fucking going on because at the moment they're not what they're doing is they're actually sitting down and they're making laws going to Europe there and they're saying oh look we'll take in this X amount there guys get your 
fucking hands dirty, get your feet fucking, the shoes worn off your feet, and you walk around and you see what's happening around the fucking area. I'm sorry, because... No, but you, have, you, you, you walk around and see what's happening around the area. See what's happening to the, the honest citizen who bleeds the same colour as us. Tom, I feel your passion, but I, th- I think we've also given you enough time to vent your spleen and get, all it all, right, get it all off your chest. I hope you're happy enough that you got it there, yeah? I am, my kid. Okay, bye man. Bye. Thanks a million. Okay, you, you can feel the frustration there, and uh, that's compounded, of course, when you're looking at... We've been asked to, as I mentioned, a ministerial salary. How much exactly does a TD get paid? It's actually €101,000, uh, that's before any uh, pay increase. The 6500 or so would bring that to nearly 108000 a year under the new public uh, sector pay deal negotiated by the government. Now, once again, politician salaries are pegged to upper grades in the civil service. But a spokesman for the Taoiseach confirmed that the ministers were, quote, currently eligible, unquote, for the public say, uh, public service pay deal extension. Uh, not just that, but unlike what you get when you, when you, when you get a budget, uh, some of it is going to be backdated as well. It could result in there being a lump sum of more than €2,275 in November for them under the provision for a 3% increase in 2022, backdated to February. Senators would see a similar bullet payment of nearly €1,600. Government ministers also remain eligible to benefit. I don't think their deal is done yet, though, uh, by more than €10,000 under the deal if it's adopted. Uh, But they could choose to forego the increases, as they have done for years. The optics are not good these days in these current difficult times. If you accept these, uh, you know, in the public eye, in the public service, uh, if you're seen to be accepting it, uh, the deal yet to be ratified after being agreed on Tuesday and will go to union ballot over the next five weeks. So as the government are dealing with the... uh, the public service and the pay demands, they're also, of course, cognizant that they'll also be gifted uh, with the same increases. Now, people will say 6.5% is not a lot considering the uh, double-figure inflation we have at the moment. Uh, but when you're, when you're on a higher wage, uh, as the senior public servants are and the senior government uh, members are, um, you know, you're way ahead of inflation anyway if it's just about cost of living. There's plenty more to eat into. Uh, by the way, Taoiseach is currently paid... 217,106. He'll enjoy an increase of over 14 grand. That'll bring that to more than uh, 230,000 by the time Leo Varadkar holds the job next year. Uh, the Tonish just paid 200,263. Uh, Mr. Martin is set to hold this post when it rises to more than 213,000 in 2023. Uh, that's uh, all going well, of course, in the election of, uh, within the Doyle, I mean, of uh, Leo Varadkar as Taoiseach as the proposed swap uh, is uh, is impending actually around Christmas time or early New Year isn't it? John is on line one. Hiya John. Hiya, how you doing? Now you've a, you've a family member recently made homeless because their landlord decided to sell. This is endemic now. We're hearing of dozens of these cases uh, all over the place and then that landlords as I mentioned to a previous interviewee are fleeing the rental market. They are because they, 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 it's difficult for them to get out of contacts and all that. But the, the thing is, my daughter, so my daughter actually, she's on the housing list for the last 11 and a half years. And okay. she's bidding for houses, no offers, nothing like that. And um, they, she was homeless. And they kind of, at the last minute, they said, yeah, no problem. We're, we're from the city. We're from the south side of the city. And she had to go down to Cove and stay in a hotel down in Cove. Which is, first of all, anyway, it's getting up and down in Cove is not cheap. For herself and her partner and her, uh, her, her, her daughter. 
And secondly, and secondly then, they can't cook inside in the, the, the hotel. So they have to eat out. So everything has to be bought. So, you know, it's, she's actually worse off now than she ever was. Okay, now you, you've, you've listened to Tom's interview there, how emotive and how passionate he was in his despair at, at what's happening across the board in this country and the general conditions now that we're worrying ourselves into winter to, to weather, if you like. How, how do you feel? You have a more personal involvement, of course, with your daughter being made homeless. That's one of the I'm elements. A, I, yeah, I'm a pensioner. My wife is a pensioner. And my daughter is our father's call from south side of the city, 20 miles away from us. And everyone wants to get sick, we should be able no one to, to help us, anything like that. And we'll, of course, we're worried about the gas and the electricity and all that. But my daughter's inside in a one-room hotel with her 11-year-old daughter who's reaching puberty now with her, and her partner. That's morally, that's not correct. Freedom sharing one room. But, you know, they, they were getting, like, getting dressed every morning and her father there, like, and, you know, just, I, I can't understand it. Because, like, she was, she was... In the in the other, she had rented and she was up to date, paint her red and rent and everything. When she looked for help, then she's oh yeah, it's like it's like opening where where your man there uh, that to go to out to Africa. I thought I I thought they might send send them out to Africa instead of sending them to Cove. You know, nothing against Cove, but there's a good distance away and it's not expense. I I know the hotels in Cove and I know the operators there and. Uh I'm, I'm sure, I'm, very, very nice, yeah, I'm sure they're happy to welcome them. But is she eating into her oh, savings now, if she has any? Well, she has, she has, she has some savings, but she, she just they can't go on. You know, she can't go into a restaurant every day and buy breakfast, dinner and supper. Mm-hmm. But made homeless well, no. because the landlord decided to sell. That is the landlord's prerogative, but many, many of them are taking that initiative now to get out of the market while it's buoyant. Well, the property prices are high, so I, I, you wouldn't blame uh, you wouldn't blame people for look. Especially he's an elderly fellow, so he probably said like a cash in hope. That's it, you know. Okay, and of he course your your daughter wouldn't have been able to buy that house. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Sure, like, like for, I have a young daughter, and she's twenty five, and she's saving up for a mortgage. I sure she'll have to have if she wants a house for three hundred grand. Then she have to have ten percent deposit, you know. Except my boyfriend walking very hard, and you know they're, they're trying to say, "Well, put this, with the with trying to drive or trying to put walking on that." And things are ridiculous. Like, something will have to give. Something will give. Are, are they because determined like, to stay here in this country? My my young daughter. Yes. Yeah. This this not a girl. Oh yeah, she she she's uh, she's serving her time. She's in her apprenticeship, and he's walking away. But she did She went out to Australia for a year. Okay, and they enjoyed it. Like, but uh, there's no place like home. You know, I travel around the world myself. Like that, again, everybody wants to come home, you know. Mm. What did you work at? I, me? Mm. Oh, yeah, I was uh, in oil and gas out in, uh, out in the Middle East and down, down in um, West Africa in those places, you know. You got to see a bit of the world anyway. So, how, is, uh, how how is your daughter in Cove commuting? Is it using the train every day or driving a car? Train, yeah, train, and her daughter, her, see, her daughter's going to school inside the city in Cork, and she's quite happy there, so she didn't want to move her. So, they, they get up every morning at six o'clock. Head for the train, come into the city, make their way out to out to the suburbs, out to their school, and then get back down in the evening, you know, and all this like. What, what did they do all day long? Parents, the two parents. Well, my daughter, my daughter, uh, my daughter walks. Okay. Her partner, her partner walks as well, you know. And and why was there nothing within their own area that that could be given to them rather than sending them to to, to Cove from the south side? 
Don't hold like either go down there or go on the street. Okay. You know, that, uh, we're, we're, like, we're Irish people. My grandparents, my grandparents were Irish. They were all here during the Troubles, during, during 1916 and 1921. People fought for this country. I had to leave this country to get money to come back to, to, because we're in the recession in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I remember I remember going up to Dublin, getting the, getting a flight. I got up the train and all these politicians have, having a good laugh on the train, all laughing and joking. And I was thinking to myself, they're laughing and joking. I have to get out of the country. Jesus, I said, what are we coming to? That was the gravy train, was it? Well, it was a gravy train, yeah, but I, I wasn't getting the gravy. I was down the back. <laughs> John, I, okay, I, I, I can feel the frustration and, and I, I suppose you're wondering how much longer is this sustainable? Um, but of well, course, when, when, once they're in any accommodation, they'll probably be bumped to the back of whatever list they were on. I don't know what they're going to do, but like they said, it won't be for long. Won't be for long. But how long is a piece of string, you know? And when they go into, when they go in then into the into the council office inside in town, uh, they get a guy's. Do you know if you go into a taxi, you see the taxi driver's name up and his ID, and you can say if he did something wrong to me that you could report him. Mm-hmm. And if you go, if a girl stops you in the street and there's a number, you know, we never had any reason to be stopped in the streets, you know. But if a girl stops you in the street, you have a number and you you have someone to address her. But she, they went in there into the council offices, and I, I you know, they were, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were belittled and abused. By, by nameless entities, because they can't be identified. By, by nameless people, yeah, faceless people. Inside, inside that office, inside in City Hall, dotting and fucking not, not looking out for our people, you know. John, I can feel the passion in your voice. Thank you very much. Okay. All Thank right. You very much, Thanks Mick. for putting the Take point care. across. Bye-bye. Thanks very much. Okay. Okay, uh, make St. Vincent de Paul a gift to this nation. I want to be clear on that. I would donate no issues at all, as uh, thanks to the man above, I'm in a position to do so. However, I have a neighbour whose family are doing very well, and she's got a new car and no shortage. And yet, St. Vincent de Paul, every Christmas, arrived to her with goods and to one of her children who's even got their own business. This cannot be a once-off issue, and it prevents me personally from donating, says a texter. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Well, it's been a really busy program and my thanks to the Neil Prenderville Show production team for making it so varied and so packed with info. And we're changing topic again now because jo- journalist and writer Barbara Scully's down-to-earth memoir come self-help book uh, is called Wise Up Power. Power, Wisdom and the Older Woman. And its writer joins us on line two. Good morning, Barbara. Hi, good morning to you, Rick. Now, one of the most enlightening and educational uh, programmes I've ever de- done here sitting in for Neil was one on menopause, where I learned more than I probably knew. Uh, uh, and some of, some, you know, it, it focused really on hormone replacement therapy mm. and, and what the lack of that can do. Uh, we had a 26-year-old woman who had to, had to have a hysterectomy uh, and so on. Now, you've, you've written a book and I'm, I'm, I've been taken by uh, an article written by Justine Carberry uh, on the book because she said it really struck a chord with me because I am of the same vintage, lovely word, and hailing from a similar background. So uh, she also says, and I'll quote her here, life is filled with chapters and changes beginning with her transition from puberty to adulthood and Scully gently, sometimes uproariously, guides us to appreciate that gifts that ageing brings with it, which is wisdom and power. So a book really aimed at the middle to middle-aged onwards woman. Well, that's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, when I was writing it, the, the target audience, I guess, that I had in my head were women, I suppose, of kind of 
mid-40s on. But in actual fact, it's been a revelation. I only got a, a beautiful DM on Twitter the other day from a young woman who is in her, I think she's in her very, very early 20s, um, and she's pregnant, and she's reading my book in particular, and, it's, and a lot of it, she said, resonates with, with even with her. Um, so it is interesting that, that people are getting, and also men, because most of the radio interviews I've done about the book have been with, like yourself, men um, who have, you know, dipped in and out and read the book and, again, have taken away stuff from it. So the audience is much wider than I kind of had anticipated when I was writing it. Well, men, men you I, see, and I'm not being sexist here, Barbara, men are always wondering if they can put some <laughs> sort of flesh on the bones of that age-old question. What do women want? <laughs> so we're trying to understand <laughs> you really <laughs> well you know i mean one of the reasons that i wrote uh, the book was that i think you know going back to what you said there earlier about uh, the, the most uh, interesting program you ever did and the one you learned most um on was the one about menopause the fact that we're talking about menopause now that it's come out of the shadows and it's kind of hit the mainstream and that it's conversations on the national airwaves is really important and really good but one of the things i think is that when very often we kind of try and uh, re- bring back into balance something that was out of whack. In other words, women's health was always kind of towered in this, like, oh, women's issues and women's stuff. And so, you know, we don't really discuss it in the mainstream. Um, but sometimes I think in readjusting the balance to that, we tend to uh, go too far in the other direction. And I worry sometimes that women, younger women in particular, hearing about all this talk about menopause, which is all, you know, good, will will be, a lot of the talk is, is about the negative aspects. And what I wanted to do was focus on the fact that once you get through as a woman, once you get through menopause, and menopause is only a gateway. It's not, it's like adolescence. It doesn't last forever. You know, you go in and then you come out. And once you are through the worst of menopause, you're actually into one of the most satisfying and one of the freest periods of your life, uh, pardon the pun, um, which, you know, is, and I think that women don't realize that. And one of the really important messages of the book is that you need to get ready for that. You need to start thinking about that uh, because there is great freedoms um, with getting older. Um, you know, because once you hit, I turned 60 in January, and once you hit into your 60s, you are most likely, if you're a parent, you know, your kids, now, they mightn't have moved Most likely out. to have flown the nest at that stage. <laughs> yeah, but they're, they don't want you around 24-7. As a woman, you are free from your female biology for the first time since you were about 12 or 13. That is a huge freedom when you've been dealing with all the stuff uh, around that for, for donkey's years. Okay, you also perhaps have a few more quid in your pocket. You also have the freedom of all of your life experience. And one of the biggest lessons you learn is that you're no longer afraid of failure because you'll have probably failed a few times along the way. Okay. And failure won't hold any fear for you any longer. So, so if, if, the, if the book is to be successful, it has to be relatable. So, so is it relatable in, in, in that, uh, and this is, is from a review of the book, uh, um, it, it was almost like looking at my own life, said uh, Justine the Revere. She said, "How uh, you know, each one informed the next. The golden 20s, which are all about decadence, wildness, learning, love, sex and growing up. Through the turbulent 30s, that must be getting married, uh, roaring yes. 40s, fabulous <laughs> 50s and onwards into our 60s, the best decade yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope it is relatable because, you know, one of, again, one of the things that, that I say in the book is that my life is, is 
kind of every woman's life, I didn't do anything spectacular, in, in you know, so far. I might do yet, but so far, I haven't done anything spectacular. I haven't crashed through any glass ceilings. I haven't gone to the top of any big industry. I, you know, I've lived a life that's very typical for women of my age. Um, so therefore, I hope that it is relatable. And certainly the feedback that I've gotten is that it is very relatable. And even women who were born later than I and are younger than I, um, you know, we will all do similar things in the various different decades of our lives. You know, as you said, as you mentioned there, your 20s tends to be about, you know, experimentation and, and you know, decadence and, and wildness and all the rest of it. And then you correctly say your 30s is probably get married, have kids. Um, and start to understand your own parents. Yeah. And your 40s is like when, you know, things can get quite tough. You know, um, you know, when you're trying to work and you're trying to pay a mortgage and you're trying to bring up kids and, you know, the money might be tight and all the rest of it. Um, so I hope the book is relatable. And certainly the feedback that I've gotten is that it is relatable. Okay. So, so menopause is, you said, a gateway. Let's call it a portal uh, through yeah. which women will pass. A lot of them don't do it uh, with, without some sort of scars. Uh, in, in the, and I, I think you're, what you're trying to get at is you shouldn't be looking back with any regret of the past, but looking with optimism to the future and what you can do with the remaining good years of your life. Yeah, that's really, really important. Um, and there is a thing, you know, I've been doing, you know, when I was doing research um, for the book um, and subsequently to the book, you know, there is this um, scientifically proven new uh, curve of happiness, which says, you know, it has shown that um, our, we are happiest in our 20s. And then the curve dips down, as you said, again, into the 30s and 40s. Yeah, burdened by responsibility, back, I suppose. You're burdened by responsibility. And we feel, we often feel, and I did, and I know women, you know, today, do you feel like a mouse on a wheel? You know, you're just kind of getting up every day and, and working and dealing with kids and cooking and cleaning and doing it all again the next day. The U curve of happiness starts to come up again in your 60s. Um, so it is proven that this is the time of life that, it, that is to be savoured. But one of the main messages I want to get across in the book is that we need to be ready for that. So you need to mind your health, number one, and I had a health crisis um, in my 50s, which meant I had to totally overhaul my lifestyle. And I'm so glad that I did because I now feel younger because I'm healthier and I'm fitter than I was in my 50s. So you need to mind your health. And the other thing you need to do is you need to start thinking about what it is you want to do with these last decades of your life that potentially could be where you really can make a difference and where you really can. And for women, I think in particular, we kind of revert back to being just ourselves, having had decades of fulfilling the roles of maybe wife, mother, whatever your job was. Suddenly you can drop a lot of those labels and titles and you, it's a lot like being an adolescent, I feel, or not an adolescent, but maybe, you know, an older teenager when you're coming up to leaving school and you had that feeling, you know, before life made you cynical of the world was your oyster and you could do whatever you wanted to do. There's an element of that about being 60 plus as well that mm. you kind of think, do you know what, I can now do things for myself just for me. So who am I and what is it that I actually want to do next? And that could be anything from, you know, yeah, I want to travel places that I've never seen or I want to paint. I always wanted to paint. Now I'm going to see if I can paint or with me, I'm going to write a book because I always wanted to write a book and now is the time to do it. And you have that delicious thing of a clock ticking away in the, in the wings of your life saying, do you know what, girl, if you're going to do something, you need to start moving and start doing kind of soon because you're going to run out of road. So it's a great motivator to do things. Um, the other thing I think that older women in particular can do is be great activists and be the guardians of your communities and get involved with your local community. 
Can I, so can I flip this over for a moment, Barbara? Can, can I just flip yeah. the discussion for a moment? Uh, mm-hmm. On one of the morning papers, there was a picture of two young girls just going to f- into, into school for their first days. Mm-hmm. One, one, one of them was posed as a model would posed uh, with the leg crossed over and, and, and the heel lifted off the ground. And I'm just wondering where the four-year-old learned that. What I'm trying to get at is girls and women from time to time, when they're very young, they get subliminal and direct messages about how uh, how, how you look means how good you are. And yeah. it isn't so much in your achievements, but in how you look. Women, to be fair, fight aging. Uh, and there are many, many products very successful in that in that realm of the pharmacy. Uh, but as, as women age, this subvert uh, or overt uh, sexism seems to be augmented with messages uh, society delivers then to older women about fighting aging. Yeah. Yeah. And I would disagree with you. I think, you know, fighting aging, I think, is one of the greatest frauds that has ever been, uh, you know, inflicted on women. Embrace it. Embrace it. Nurture it. We're all aging from the moment we're born. So to think you can fight aging is a complete and utter fallacy. Now, no judgment. If you want to spend your money um, and your time on getting whatever procedures you think are going to make you look better, that's entirely your business. What I have a problem with is women feeling they have to do that in order to stay relevant. And as you correctly said, from the time we're young girls, we learn that we are judged primarily on how we look, on how we present ourselves to the world. And that actually gets worse as we get older instead of getting better so as we get older you have the added you have the the sexism and then you have the ageism comes in on top of it where you know for older men we have all the 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 kind of names that are more flattering you know older men become elder statesmen they become wise they have gravitas you know they're silver foxes Older women have none of that. They become like witches or, you know, um, well, the Irish mammy, you know, who's kind of a lovable idiot, um, or they become invisible. None of that is true. You are not invisible. Um, and, and I think it's up to older women to say to society, you know what, you can keep your judgments to yourself. I have no interest in what you think of how I look. None whatsoever. I am about a whole lot more than that. So there's freedom that, that comes in women's 60s. You're free from the female biology stuff. Yeah, you're free from kids, essentially. Of course, you'll always be looking after them to, until the day you die. Uh, you're, you're, you're really free from fear of failure. You're free from the weight of other people's opinions. It means you finally have time to do stuff for yourself. You've time to dream. You've time for passion projects. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And as I say, you have that kind of like, it's now or never. If I don't do these things now, when the hell am I going to do them? And what I really wanted to say to women in in my book is that get ready for that. You need to think about that. You need to think about how you're going to use all of this freedom. And you need to also recognize that a lot of the messages you get from society about older women are false um, because the most powerful women are women who no longer care what other people think about them. That gives you great power. And that's where you need to focus and not be hobbled by the kind of nonsense that society will tell you about how you should be fighting aging and you should be making sure you look young. That is a whole, if you focus there, your, your, your third age, if you like, is not going to be as productive as it should be. Drop all of that stuff and become authentically yourself. And don't, you know, own your age. Don't be defined by it. You can be whatever you want to be. It is never too late to learn something new, to experiment with something new, 
you know, to change whatever it is that you want to change in your life. All right. Uh, let's give the book a plug. It's a book of hilarious anecdotes. It's for, it's aimed at postmenopausal women, uh, urging them to believe the best has come. It's lively. It's funny. It's audacious. There's some nice wisecracks in it. It's called Wise Up, Power, Wisdom and the Older Woman. Where can it uh, be purchased? You can find it in Eason's and in many independent bookshops. I was down in West Cork actually for the last two weeks in glorious West Cork and it's in the Bantry bookshop I know for sure. But most uh, independent bookshops or you can order it from my website which is barbarascully.com Going to be talking to a descendant of the Earl of Bantry in a moment actually. So isn't, isn't that oh, a lovely that, segue? That's <laughs> very nice. I gave you a nice little lead in there. Perfect. So how, <laughs> how are all the male interviews going? Are we doing, are we doing okay? Uh, yes, surprisingly brilliantly. Yes, yes. Um, I think, yeah, I didn't get any hassle from anybody at all, even though I take quite a swipe at the patriarchy in the book. So, uh, no, I'm, uh, I'm happy. <laughs> all right. Barbara Scully, it's costing about 15, 15 euro 30 on average uh, in the bookshops. And it's called Wise Up, Power, Wisdom and the Older Woman. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks so much. Thank Cheers. you. Cheers. Bye-bye. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818-104-106. And we're going to open the phone lines, not now, but we'll tell you when, for five friend passes, and these are worth something. Friend passes, they're probably the upper level of the passes, right? To Bantry House, they're worth 50 euro each. We're not going to open the lines just now until we speak, as promised, to a direct descendant of the Earl of Bantry. Uh, Julie Shells, Worldwide. Good morning to you, Julie. Hi, Mick. How are you? Very good. Oh, you sound younger than your name would give me a uh, thought to expect. <laughs> I get that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> a direct descendant of the Earl of Bantry running the, the house alongside your sister Sophie. There's no way I can do the full story justice in the five minutes available to me. But the house has a very interesting history. Some great stories about the Spanish Armada arriving, redcoats turning them away, used as a hospital during the Civil War after the IRA threatened to commandeer it. The Irish Army occupied it during World War II. It can also be rented out for weddings with B&B accommodation inside. And of course, uh, Bantry House Garden is so pictured uh, it's been all over the world pictorially. Tell me a little bit about the house. Yeah, so I actually run the business at the moment with my brother Sam. So it's my brother Sam and I running it. Um, we're open to the public seven days a week. We have a tea room uh, in the house. So um, very popular for families to come and visit. We have a lovely little um, play area that our head gardener Adam just made recently. So that's from a tree that fell um, on the estate. So um, we're a great spot for families. Um, we do tours of the house. And yeah, it's been in my family since the 1730s. So mm. um, I think I'm the 10th generation to live in the house. So public interaction with the facilities and the financial support that that brings is essential to keeping a, an old mm -hmm. stately home thriving and alive, is it? Yeah, it is, absolutely. I mean, the house was opened to the public by my grandmother in 1946. So, um, you know, we, we're really just a small family-run business. We have a team of about 15. And, um, yeah, we just have to try and do an awful lot, really, to keep the place going. Now, we did just receive a grant, actually, from the um, Heritage Fund, um, along with the local authority. So that's to fix the mm -hmm. top of the house. Now, the that's Whites very, haven't very been around Bantry for too long, have they? Only since 1739. Yeah, yeah, renewbies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So there's bed and breakfast accommodation in the East Wing from April to October this year. Mm -hmm. uh, so a couple of months left in that. November exactly. to March, self-catering is available. Uh, yeah. You've got a private collection of furniture and objects of art. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, of course, a popular wedding and events venue as well. Uh, you've got the formal garden, which is famous. You can visit the house. You can enjoy a picnic basket from the tea room. Have afternoon yeah. tea in the library. You can stay in the East Wing. And the estate is unique since it's still lived in and managed by you guys as a family. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, I still live in the house. My brother lives in the house as well. Um, our mum, Brigitte, is the owner. So yeah, it's family run and um, we offer guided tours every day of the, of the main house at two o'clock. And we also have a lovely little quiz that's 
suitable for children, so it sort of keeps the kids entertained maybe while mum and dad listen to the tour. Okay, it's, it's, it's not a rock up and, and take part thing, of course, uh, on the day, even on the day, pre-booking is necessary. Um, you don't actually have to pre-book to visit um, or to join the tour. You can just actually sort of rock up. You can rock day. up, okay. Uh, you actually can, yeah. You can just uh, turn up and buy tickets. Um, now with our friend pass, you can bring three adults with you and then kids are covered as well. And along with the friend pass, you also get um, an invitation to our little uh, wisteria party that we hold every spring and um, a few other perks as well. Okay, I've got all the perks here. Entrance to the house and garden throughout the season for you and three guests. That's very good value out of 50 euro ticket. An invitation to the annual Wisteria Party and Guided Tour. You get 10% of Old Bantry House hosted events in a private sitting room on your request, serving a special menu. Are you very proud of the history of the house? And what can you tell me are the the highlights of that? Um, I am very proud. Um, I I mean, I moved home four years ago to manage it. So, um, you know, I'm very happy to be here. And I'm very proud of what my parents have achieved, really, in the past, you know, 30 years or so, I mean, 40 years, actually, they opened up the B&B, they started hosting weddings, you know, they started hosting the music festival, so we host the West Cork Chamber Festival every summer, and the Masters of Tradition, that was just on last weekend with Martin Hayes, who's the festival director. Did you guys host so, Graham Norton's wedding? Um, I just live here, is my line on that. I don't know anything about that. I know nothing. <laughs> I know uh, nothing, exactly. what, what about the straightened times of World War Two? How did the house hmm. cope with the Irish Army occupying it then? Um, so yeah, the the cyclist squadron was um, was uh, here during that time, um, and they were um, up in the stable. So they were in sort of a separate part to the main house. And I know I think at that time, when my dad was a child, he would have lived in a different house in Glengariff, um, just kind of away from all the activities, mm-hmm. all the soldiers being around and things like that. So, okay. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it, it seems like a wonderful place to, to visit. Adult is. admission is 14 euro, child yeah. 5 to 16 years of age, 5 euro, family estate admission 33, the annual garden pass is only 20 euro, but yeah. the Friends of Bantry House, the creme de la creme of the tickets, we're going to yeah. give five away and open our lines right now on 0818 104 106. Uh, Julie well white uh, as I thought, time uh, Tempest has done the old fugit, I don't have many more time to talk to you, but it seems like a very so engaging place to visit. Yes, it is. We're very proud of it. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you very much. Julie Shellswell-White, direct descendant of the Earl of Bantry. My thanks on the Neil Prendival Show today to its producers, to Seamus, to Kevin and to Claire. And back tomorrow morning after news at nine. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.